How you doing, folks? You're listening to the very first episode, the origin, the genesis, the alpha of a brand new podcast called Howl History. Each week, we'll have some fun exploring the past and present of our favorite team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, in a form of audio group therapy. On today's episode, we'll be breaking down the Timberwolves' truncated offseason, both the draft and free agency. And then, in the second half of the episode, we're going to do a mini fantasy draft, where we'll try to assemble the best basketball teams possible using nothing but current and former Minnesota Timberwolves players. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the first episode of Howell History. Hey, this is it. This is the very first episode of Howell History. I'm Derek here with Chad. What's going on, Chad? I'm much. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. We thought uh, we thought we'd give Good. this a shot, have a little bit of fun. Good to get a rolling. It sure is. This is going to be new for both of us. Uh, just in case you're all confused, we're not breaking any news here. We're not uh, watching game film and deep diving into what's going on on the court. We're just having some fun. We're a couple Timberwolves fans. We have been for 31 years now. We're going to examine and explore all 31 of those years eventually, but we'll get it started and have a little bit of fun tonight. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. So... First episode, we're going to take a look at what's been going on lately. It's been the draft, been free agency. So, Chad, what's uh, what was your favorite part of the draft last week? Well, I think like at most diehard Timberwolves fans, my favorite part was the Ricky Rubio trade. Of course. Sort of, course. of overshadowed yeah. the, uh, the actual pick. The only possible thing that could have overshadowed picking number one overall. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw that coming. I know I, I the funny thing is I texted you. Before the draft started, some rumor that the Timberwolves were talking to Oklahoma, right? And said, "Oh, what if we're what if we're going to get Rubio?" Like totally not really thinking we were going to get Ricky Rubio. I just assumed it was we were going to trade one pick for two picks or something down the road. And then, sure enough, yeah, then it happened. I know <laughs> you, were, yeah. you were on Twitter, like you were like doing like a embargo against, so you didn't get any spoilers. I was trying to. I, was, I wasn't hearing anything. I had my notifications for Woj and Shams turned off. I wasn't having anything roll through because I didn't, I didn't want to know anything that was happening up until it. It's a yearly tradition for me. I sit and I watch the draft, usually by myself. At a, at a, a friend and his son over for a, a guy's night this year, but um, watching the draft, I turned off all my notifications so I wouldn't be three picks ahead again. But I got that text from you, and I was like, man... It's fun talking with OKC, and yeah, it's fun to reminisce about Ricky and what that would mean like. But I was like, if they're going to do anything, it's got to be for Ubre, because we got you know we need we need wings, we need guy, we need starters, you know, who can step in here. And at the time, that made most sense to me. But God, thinking about it and going through everything that's been written by Krasinski or even by Dane Moore, or even some of the notes have been put out by uh, Zach Lowe. It's just been crazy about how positive a lot of this can be for Ricky and what he can mean to this team. Yeah, and then hindsight, looking back at. To your point, thinking we needed a wing, we needed a starting wing, and then you look back and you're going, Aha, we have too many wings. Yeah, you know, we're just super loaded. Yeah, and so it's like, well, actually, now we need a big, and I, we didn't. Neither of us even looked at a big coming out of Oklahoma City. We just, you know, no, I don't know. It didn't even. Got, <laughs> I mean, it was just it was Rubio or Ubre were the only two that we brought up, and Rubio was more of like the the, the Homer in us, yeah. just wanting Ricky back. And then, but it makes sense, which we'll get to from a basketball standpoint. But I mean, Uber, I would have been ecstatic for as well. I mean, he would have, prior to picking at number one, Mm -hmm. he would have been a good fit. Um, He's a little bit of a two way player, all that kind of stuff. Um, But I think Rubio 
not only do I think he fits better, you know, knowing, knowing who we ended up with at number one, but obviously it was a home run from a PR standpoint. Yeah, obviously. You know. yeah. yeah. So let's talk about number one. The Timberwolves have the number one pick for the second time ever. They move up in the draft for the first time ever in however many years of lottery histories. And we get, of course, the NBA draft without a clear-cut number one. We lead into it for weeks upon weeks trying to decide who would be the, the best pick. Who would be the right fit? Are we going to draft for fit? Are we going to ignore fit? Are we just going to move forward with uh, the best available player? And we talked a lot. We, we texted, we chatted just about what that would mean. Who, who is our favorite? And I believe you at least flip-flopped three or four times between Edwards, Ball, and Wiseman. Yeah, I mean, I would say just that last week I flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was strong Edwards early on. Like when we first talked, I was like, yeah, trade pick. I think we both agreed. Let's trade the pick would be our number one priority to get a veteran that could help. Um, but then as far as players, I was all in on Edwards and really I didn't see Wiseman or ball as even being in the same class as him. Um, and then as I did more of a deep dive and research ball surfaced as being like, I, you know, and we talked about this off air, but, I saw LaMelo as just another Lonzo who I thought we could get cheaper. So mm-hmm. if you really want a ball, don't use that pick to take LaMelo, Lonzo. I do think with doing more research, I do think LaMelo does have a higher ceiling. Um, there's also a good chance he doesn't even reach Lonzo's level, um, in my opinion. But Wiseman, I thought, I think it was Britt wrote an article talking about using the two bigs and how Wiseman actually could space the floor better than either ball or Edwards because you have towns who can go out to the arc and you got Wiseman who could be in the paint. And then you have all these other players, whether it's bench players or starters who are all going to be mostly perimeter guys. So that actually won me over. I was like, you know what? That does make sense. So then I was kind of like, Oh, maybe, maybe we should go for Wiseman, but I don't think I ever was Wiseman number one. It was more trade down from one to three or to four and you take Wiseman if he dropped that far, which he probably wouldn't have, or LaMelo there. I think if we were keeping number one, I was pretty set on taking Edwards no matter what at number one until that the day of the draft. Then I was waffling a little bit between Ball and Edwards just because of those reports about you know Edwards maybe not loving basketball and all that. And then you kind of made that point while Ellen Iverson wanted to play football. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you know what? That's true. <laughs> so maybe that's not a, a bad thing. So, um, yeah. So I think we, I mean, I think you were originally more ball yeah. when we first talked um, for just the higher ceiling standpoint oh, of yeah. being the, the future all-star. But then you sort of flip-flopped at least once, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about flip-flopping. I was the prototypical Timberwolves fan through this whole draft. It was it was a mess. I, I typically avoid... Twitter polls as much as possible because I don't really care about my own opinion. I mean, says the guy who's starting a podcast to hear himself talk. But <laughs> I just want to usually see what other people have to say. So whenever whenever one of those polls would come up, it would be like, who do you want the Timberwolves to pick? Ball, Edwards, or Wiseman? And I'd be like, oh, God, I better think about this. And I don't know why I thought about it. It should have just been a gut reaction. But I'd be like, okay, ball this week. And the next week I'd be like, nope, I want to go big. Let's go with Wiseman. And then Edwards was usually more often than not the, the way I'd lean. But but, man, I was all over the place with who I wanted. And eventually I got to the point, and like you said, 
I don't know enough about these guys to really know if it was the right pick or not. I never have. You know, I my number one most embarrassing moment as a Timberwolves fan is writing an email on the night of the, the Kevin Love OJ Mayo trade telling the Timberwolves that I'll never buy another ticket because of that trade and how disastrous it was going to be for the franchise. Like, I, I've never been more embarrassed looking back on something I've done as a fan. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know enough about these guys. And I didn't watch any, I didn't watch one minute of any of them, either in college or overseas, you know, to the point before this draft process started. So I was like, you know what, I, I feel like I have an opinion, but I don't have a strong opinion either way. So if the rumors are true, if they can actually make a trade, go down to three, pick up an asset in the process, let's do it. And let's just take whoever's left because I think they could all work for the team. But, but man, ever since, ever since that pick was made, I have, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. I've totally bought into Edwards ever since they made that pick. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, I know that the, the one text when we were going back and forth talking about future trade assets, what do we have now that we locked into Rubio for you know this year and potentially next year as only being an expiring and I mentioned, well, we still have Edwards as a trade chip. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, you went from trade number one being the number one priority to, like, we can't trade Edwards. Right. He's, he's untouchable now, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to get caught up in it, especially when you see the you see the measurables, you see how big he is. You know, you and I were bouncing back and forth player comps in terms mm-hmm. of, like, is he the, the wing version of Zion? <laughs> with right. Like this huge physique and, you know, incredible explosiveness. Um, so, you know, especially when you're comparing them to a guy like LaMelo, who was, you know, your other top option who, you know, is 130 pounds soaking wet. I mean, he looks, he, he has a lot of development to do before he's going to be able to, you know, play yeah. heavy minutes, a meaningful game. Yeah. I think um, I sent you the, uh, the first photos of each of them in their, in their rookie uniforms and man, the difference is so different. Yeah. Yeah. LaMelo looks like the, the high school freshman, yeah. <laughs> you know, standing on the side of the you know, basketball court and not dancing with other girls. I mean, he, he just looks skinny and nerdy and, you know, I know. Meanwhile, like yeah. Meanwhile, like yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, each of Edwards, legs could support a level of my house. Like, right. right. It's just a, yeah. a, you know, a man standing there somehow at 19 years old, six, six, 230 pounds. I don't understand how that happens that quickly, but it's crazy. I mean, I, you know, we, we kind of, when we were bouncing back, some of the other guys, we, we recently were talking about Wally, Zerbiak, mm-hmm. what his size was on the draft, and he was another horse that you don't remember. I mean, six four or six seven two forty or something like that. I think was his measurables. And you guys wear that differently, right? Like, you know, Edwards is he, he doesn't have a lot of body fat. He is he LeBron James? No, I mean LeBron's a freak of all freaks, but he is also not Craig Smith, another one we compare right. at the similar height. You know, who there's no way a Craig Smith could play in the wing, you know, through built, being built the way he was, even though you look at the height and the weight, it's comparable to what Anthony Edwards is. Yeah. They wear that differently. And that's where I think the um, the excitement is on Edwards and being, you know, what his potential could possibly be. I know. And the, the difference, you know, I looked it up, the listed measurements for those guys and Craig Smith was six, seven, like 250, you know, so he's got okay. another a good 20 pounds on Edwards. Sure, so it's like, sure. it makes sense. But the one you brought up, Zerbiak, like 6'7", 244. How did we miss that, like, year after and, year? like, And he didn't have a lot of body fat. No. Like, he, I mean, he was jacked. <laughs> he was a, you know. But he, he also wasn't that high flyer. And, no, you know, he so wasn't. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, he's a guy, but he, you know, he's not, like, flying through the lane and, and dunking on everybody. He's, you know, he's more of a shooter and, and a perimeter guy. 
Um, but yeah, you look back at it, he was a specimen. I mean, he was a, you know, yeah, he was a fine. Talk about a guy that came 20 years too early because he'd be playing oh. power forward in this game. Can you imagine? I mean, he'd be a max player today, probably. You know, yeah. I mean, I know. He, yeah, he got slowed down he, by he, injuries, but he did. But he, I mean, Gordon Hayward, like, I mean, is that maybe the biggest comp in today's game? You know, similar size, can shoot from the outside, good passer for a what would be a big man. I mean, he was an okay passer as a small forward, as a power forward, he'd be a really good passer. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, but once again, he's just massive compared to Hayward. You know, he's yeah. got all that size, so he could actually body around inside if he needed to. He wouldn't have the vertical or the standing reach to really be a rim protector, but if you need somebody who just has size to at least keep somebody out of the lane a little bit, he had it. So Right, right. I mean, then again, KG would have been playing center, and he would have hated that. So Yeah, or KG would have played small forward. Right. Talk about a guy who's super small that way. I mean, yeah. that's the thing with KG. You know, we, he can play. He could have played five positions. And he was still fast enough to guard the guys at the three, you know, and protect the rim. You know, I mean, who knows? You would have to get pretty, pretty creative and um, make it work. But or maybe Wally becomes that super, super sub, you know, coming mm-hmm. off the bench. Mm-hmm. But. Which is eventually what it became when they got good in 04. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So. All right. Back to Edwards, though. We're going off yeah. on a tangent. <laughs> so, so like we said, we've, we've been drinking the Kool-Aid. We've been watching the tweets. We've seen the, the P3 metrics that have come out, rating him 99th percentile of all measurements in his lateral and vertical explosiveness with his lower body and the amount of force generated, which I think they likened it to uh, Harden Don- and Doncic Hard- and yeah, the, I, their ability I, to create separation through step-back jumpers. And, Which was funny because I, I mentioned to you that on the jump, Kendrick Perkins comparing Edwards to a cross between Westbrook and Harden, and we yeah. sort of laughed it off. And then the first, <laughs> like, sort of respectable data comes back, and it's like Harden's the, the comp there again. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and once again, we talked about this a little bit, but Harden, with his size that he carries and his strong lower body base it allows him to kind of play up in size people other teams teams think they can take advantage of him by putting him down low giving him you know putting him in a post-ups and he always holds his own in that situation no matter how many times he's been made fun of as a defender that was always an area that he succeeded in you know above his size above his position and it was something that he could always be good at so one of the one of the prevailing thoughts, especially as we get into the, how the rest of this roster is shaped out over the past couple of weeks, has been that eventually Edwards is going to be playing, you know, small forward, and there are going to be even lineups on the floor where he's playing power forward because of his size, and he's going to need all of that extra strength to be able to play up a position, to be able to to take the beating, to take the the bodying that he's going to get down low and hold his own. And it's not crazy, right? I mean, PJ Tucker has made a career out of playing the four, and Edwards is going to make him look really small. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the not just because he's bigger. I mean, he's big. He is bigger, but he also plays bigger, right? Like he, you know, PJ is not going to be flying down the paint and throwing down on guys either. You know, whereas Edwards, I think that's the from what the tape that you watch, because you know, like you, I didn't watch a lot of Georgia basketball this year, um, but he is a sort of above the rim kind of guy in a way that a PJ Tucker isn't. So obviously, there's going to be some other power forwards in the league that are much larger where it will pose a problem. And you don't really, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, Honcho's is any stronger than Edwards. Yeah. Um, so you're not giving up strength for sure. You might only be giving up length, no matter who else is on the outside of Ed Davis. 
he's probably the only other guy that's going to be stronger than Edwards mm-hmm. playing meaningful minutes at the at the four. Yeah, it's just going to be it's going to be a, <laughs> an interesting year, especially at the beginning. And I'm sure there are more moves coming. Rosas has never done putting his fingerprints on this team and the roster, but with the way they stand, they're definitely wing he- wing and guard heavy right now. And Davis made a big change in that, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But but yeah, I mean. Edwards is going to be thrown into a lot of different situations. He's going to learn on the fly, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a lot of minutes this year. Yeah, and you know, I read an uh, article that Vanderpool is sort of using Edwards as sort of his pet project mm-hmm. to try to turn him into a defensive player, um, as to go along with that offense. And you know, that obviously that's music to any Timberwolves fans' ear because we don't really have yeah. too many defenders on this roster. We need it. Um, so, yeah, and he's got the physique to be a really competent defender you know at in three positions you know um shooting guard through power forward yeah absolutely so, so i know i reacted poorly when you threw him in as a trade asset earlier <laughs> but what level of player now that we actually have edwards on the roster what level of player would need to come back for you to include him in an actual trade well i think it's one of those stars that legit third star mm-hmm. that would be in the same age range is Cat and Delo because you you don't bring in you know Chris Paul because I don't think by the time Cat and Delo reach their championship caliber you know play that Chris Paul is still going to be that kind of guy either you know at, yeah. at his age so it would have to be the Ben Simmons or the Bookers or somebody like that you know maybe Bradley Beal he's a little bit older he's sort of at that in between. You know, isn't, the, he, isn't he 26? He's like a year older than Cat. Is he? I thought he was like 27 or 28. So you might be right. But so he might be one of those. He's also the only issue I have with Beal from a fit standpoint is he's also shorter than D'Lo, which I suppose could work if D'Lo's, you know, playing shooting guard. But they all have fit problems. You know, Booker Booker doesn't defend any more than the guys we already have. So that's a problem. Um, Simmons defends, but he can't shoot from outside. So. All three of them, of, of those three stars, pose similar problems to the guys we just got, you know, Edwards and Rubio and, you know, some of these other guys that we will we'll get to in terms of their fit. But if, to me, it has to be one of those kind of those star players yeah. in order to trade up or down. Because I, I don't I don't know that Edwards is going to be as good as uh, Booker is, but I do think he's going to be as, you know, on that Donovan Mitchell sort of scale. And if he's that good, it's kind of hard to give him up as a piece to a bigger trade, because it's not going to just be Edwards. Let's be honest. If you're trading for Booker or Simmons, you're giving up Edwards, you're giving up future draft picks, and you're giving up, you know, either Beasley or mm-hmm. Rubio. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and what, what we can get to later. But on the after the Rubio trade, I actually think Beasley is that big contract you're trading out more so than Rubio. I think Rubio is a guy that Rosas and, and Flip C, or Flip, well, Ryan C as mm-hmm. a guy they're going to keep around to help develop these guys and be that veteran more than just these next two years. I think that the hope is that they can bring him back after that second year for a, a cheaper contract um, and keep him around for a while because he fits so many things. Outside of the shooting, which he got better at last year, he plugs so many holes for us in terms of, you know, when when our when Cat and D'Lo, well, they only put one game together, but when either of them were off the floor, our bench would fall apart. You know, we would give up leads, and having a not just a competent point guard, but a very good to almost elite 
point guard. I mean, he's elite in passing. Mm-hmm. He's very, very good in terms of steals. And and uh, I, I having him running the the offense when those guys are off the floor, I think is going to keep your bench competitive. So in a way where you know Beasley, I don't think does. I mean, Beasley's a starter. So you, you trade Beasley out with an Edwards to get back a a star that's a going to be a a star player better than what you think Anthony Edwards can be. Yeah, personally. absolutely. I agree. And most of your points about rebuild lead us very went nicely into into the next step of the draft because obviously the Timberwolves made a big trade. They went and traded numbers uh number pick number seventeen and James Johnson for Ricky Rubio number twenty five and twenty nine, which no matter what you think about Ricky Rubio as a player, even trading seventeen for twenty five and twenty nine is an outlandish in and of itself. And right. James Johnson had probably more value to this team than he would have to most other teams just because of his veteran presence, especially in the front court. But largely as an NBA player, his best days are behind him. He's scrounging for, you know, fringe level contracts at this point. He has this last year, but he's not considered anywhere near the player that Ricky Rubio is. So unless a team like Oklahoma City is looking at that contract as a reason that they don't want to pay that number anymore... Ricky Rubio is evidently a greater prize than James Johnson, and to barely make any trade downwards in draft capital, it seems like a win, you know, all around for a number of reasons that we'll get to. But I was just thinking, reading John Krasinski's article earlier this week about how they had made overtures to Rubio last year in 2019 in free agency when he became a free agent after being with Utah. I remember that, and it was, you know, Timberwolves need a point guard. You know, they've got a little bit of cap space. Could they bring Rubio home? You know, even the rumors that they had reached out to him. And man, I don't think I was ready to bring Rubio back last year. And not because I don't love Rubio any less. I mean, for God's sakes, my my Twitter handle is RubyOops. And it has been since he came (laughs) over. And I'm I'm never going to change it. It was one of those things that up until Rubio came, I changed it like yearly. And now it's just that forever. But... (laughs) But when they started talking about bringing him back, I was like, man, I spent six years defending Ricky Rubio against the the plebes, the rubes online who hated him and thought he was bad for the team, throwing out every little advanced stat I could find, trying to s- explain away why he was actually good for a team despite his shooting deficiencies. And at the time when I put more effort into it, man, that was exhausting. And to bring him back as a starting point guard on a team that needed him to really turn a team around, I just didn't know if I could handle it again. I didn't know if that energy level, I could, if I could put in that energy level into really supporting Ricky Rubio against a common fan who just didn't really understand his impact. But coming in now in this role where he's either a a second ball handler in the backcourt with D'Lo or he's even coming off the bench to help guys like Edwards or Culver or Kogi flourish, man, that is not only a perfect role for what he can do, but he's so much better than that. And there's not even going to be a question as to the impact that he can make on this team. Yeah. I mean, you, you go back to what do you do with the first pick, you know, and I think you take Wiseman out because he plays the same position as cat. I don't think Rosas and Saunders would have ever considered Wiseman. So no, take that aside. You got Edwards and ball. And the only things you want out of ball are this stuff that Ricky brings to you already at a much higher level than what Ball's going to bring in the next, at least his rookie season and probably the season after, you know, you hope Ball can become what Ricky Rubio is in three years. So to me, that's the home run in this. You get the the best prospect in Edwards 
which I know it's not consensus, but it's as close to a consensus as, you know, many drafts will ever get. It's not a Zion or an Anthony Davis draft, but it was pretty close. And you also get the the dynamic playmaker in Rubio, and Rubio plays defense. I mean, that's that's Ball's right. biggest, you know, deficiency in, in the tape I watch is he's just not a good defensive player. And so to me, that's why it's a home run. You get both. You get, It's like getting LaMelo and Edwards mm-hmm. in the same draft. You don't have the, the antics that Edwards or that uh, ball brings. You don't have his father coming into town and creating all this controversy. You don't, you don't have any of that. You don't have the poor defense. You don't have the poor shooting, you know, because I think Ricky's even a better, or at least more competent shooter than ball is at this point. So you get everything you wanted out of that player and you still get Edwards. I just, I don't know how to see it anyway, other than a home run. I mean, and I obviously I'm as Rubio's my second favorite player ever. So I, yeah. you know, I'm as big a fan as you're going to meet on, on Ricky Rubio, but take that. Even if I'm being objective, he's, he's a, a two way player. Uh, maybe not a big scorer when you think about a traditional two way player, but he gets everybody involved and he makes everybody around. I mean, Derek Williams looked like a competent player <laughs> with Rubio on the court. And he's out of the league once you know they they broke up. So um, I I just think from a basketball standpoint, it makes you better immediately. And you know it's not if people were going into it expecting you were going to get Ben Simmons or Devin Booker in this draft through trade, those people are probably really disappointed. But I don't think that was ever realistic. No, you know I obviously Phoenix Phoenix doubled down. They they traded to get Chris Paul to keep Booker happy and. Philadelphia, you know, who knows what's if Simmons is in the long term plans, but I definitely think that they're going to try it before they make a move because I could see it. Everybody thinks that Simmons is the odd man out there with uh, Maury going over to Philly and stuff. I could see it the other way. I could see Embiid being the odd man out because he's injured a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easier to build around a guy like Simmons, who's a distributor, than it is to build around a, a, a gifted big man. I mean, we see that here. We got. Carl Anthony Towns, and it's been tough to find the right pieces to put around him. So, um, I don't think those were realistic moves. And I and getting Ricky Rubio in on the draft night with Anthony Edwards, I mean, I just uh, I I thought it was a home run, a plus. I, I don't I couldn't have fathomed any better scenario for us. No, I mean to your Philly point, I think both those guys are equally difficult to build around in their current forms, but. If I had to bet on which one of them will still be elite in five years, it's definitely Simmons because of his age and and his injury history with uh, Embiid there. So, and that's neither here nor there. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'd stick with Simmons if I had to, but uh, nobody is asking me. So, <laughs> um, Rubio Rubio definitely brings something that this team sorely lacked, and that's another adult in the room. Uh, they were leaning on. Coming into the draft, James Johnson, and if not him, then largely Cat and D'Lo to be the veteran presences on this team. And it's not like they have—they're new; they're not rookies anymore. They're not in their second, third years, but they can be those, those presences. They can be those voices. But I think they need the right people around them to show that to support and to not only be a voice but also be a respected player on the team in terms of talent in terms of talent and, and productivity so bringing in somebody like rubio who can be a vocal leader in and of himself but also be somebody who is going to support his team who's going to support his teammates and when those top players step up and they and they try to lead he's going to 
not dismiss him. He's not going to push him away. He's not going to brush him aside. He's going to be right there side by side with him the same way that he was with Donovan Mitchell in Utah, the same way as he was with Devin Booker in, in Phoenix. And just give them their voices and have them be heard because this whole team is super young. And most of them will look up to Cat and D'Lo because they're 25 years, you know, 24, 25 years old now. And a lot of these guys coming in 19, 20, 21, they're, they, you know, they got three, four years on them. So it's not, it's not nothing. Yep. So if they can see them now in this early stage of this build as leaders, as somebody who's respected, and they see them getting that respect from a guy like Ricky Rubio or from a guy like Ed Davis, who we'll talk about once, once again in a little bit, that will go a long ways and they'll fall right in line and this team will do a lot better rather than having Cat and D'Lo be the only quote-unquote veterans on the team and just asking everybody to listen to them and not knowing what that means and not knowing how to go about that. And I think Rubio Rubio in that backcourt room side-by-side side with D'Lo trying to lead Edwards, trying to lead Beasley. You know, Beasley's 24 now. He's still a young guy, but um, but he's he's right there with the rest of them. And Akogi and Culver, like we talked about, even Jalen Noel, who was a second-round pick last year, you know, they got a lot of young guys in that room. And if Rubio can be there kind of leading that group, you know, alongside D'Lo, I think that would be huge for them. Yeah, and it's not he's not the personality like a Jimmy Butler was when they brought him in as a, a le- veteran leader, you know, who sort of led with the iron fist and mm-hmm. kind of bullied guys into playing or practicing the way he wanted them to, to play. And that goes a long way with a guy like cat who I think he's just a little bit different. Like he's not, you can't whip him with a stick to get him motivated. You have to, you know, sort of encourage him to get the best out of him. is my sense. You know, I've never talked to the guy, but just <laughs> from watching him, he looks like the type of guy you, you can't just yell or, or, you know, I, I kind of think back to the, the Boston Celtic days when you remember KG at the end of the bench, you know, just barking at yeah. Big Baby Davis and Big Baby Davis is bawling on the on the bench. I, you know, that kind of leadership wouldn't work with Cat any more than it worked with Big Baby Davis. You know, so I think having a guy like Ricky, who, you know, Ricky has, has said all the right things, and John Krasinski's article about you know he's he's going to talk guys up and and push them that way rather than get on people's cases or be negative. And I, and I believe it. I mean, we always saw Ricky that way. The, uh, hey, Alexi, change your face. Mm-hmm. Smile. Mm-hmm. All that, 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 that's who Ricky is. Yeah. And um, I think that will go a long way to helping Towns. You know, D'Lo is a little bit of an enigma to me still personality-wise. I, you know, every time I think I have a read on, on his type of personality, you know, I see something from him and it's a little bit different. Not good or bad. It's just different than what I thought in my head who he was as a personality or a person and i don't know that i have a good enough grasp on his personality yet to know how he will react with ricky but let's be honest i I can't think of a guy that's ever not like ricky rubio yeah that's played with ricky rubio the only guy i can think of that didn't like ricky rubio was jeff teague and (laughs) like they didn't play together you know and part of that was teague resented him when he came in to town and all he heard about was ricky but even before he was a timberwolf i hated jeff teague simply because i remember going to a game and jeff teague was trying to pick a fight with Ricky Rubio when he was playing for the Hawks. And yeah. um, I just, when we ended up getting rid of him and bringing in Teague, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. But I don't, there's every guy that's ever played Ricky Rubio has mm-hmm. loved the guy Absolutely. playing with him. So, you know, he, he is a great leader. I mean, I don't, the one thing we still don't probably have on this team is that sort of hard nosed tough guy to sort of defend the players against opposing teams you know, yep. you don't have that sort of 
physical threat or that sort of alpha dog guy on the court where other teams aren't going to look at you as soft or what you know whatever that that is i mean it's sort of an unquantifiable trait that teams either have or they don't you know the kg was that guy right mm-hmm. he personified that um but you look at wolves teams in the recent years everybody always you know and rightfully so judges them as being a soft team and ricky's not going to change that perception um and james jones probably did change that a little bit johnson but or yeah sorry james johnson but he's not uh, to your point, I don't think James Johnson's a very vocal guy either. So I don't know that he would have been as good a leader as Ricky on the other stuff you yeah. know, with in the locker room, just because I think he he probably gets along with all the guys well, but I don't think he's going to call somebody out for doing the wrong thing or, or go talk to them or do that kind of stuff. I think he's going to mind his own business and just do his job. He's a, you know, a vet. He's, you know, at, he doesn't, he doesn't strike me as a guy that was invested in this team or this town or in the way that Ricky will, because Ricky started his career here. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for anybody to be invested at that level. And you're right. James Johnson would have been the right type of personality on the floor. If some, if you needed a little bit of an edge, you know, yeah. you look back at the clip of Culver last year when he dunked over Robin Lopez. And right. he made it all the way back down the floor with Robin Lopez barking in his ear before anybody on, the, on his team stepped in and, you know, tried to separate them. Robin Lopez went unimpeded all the way to the Minnesota side of the court, and Culver just had to take it. And, yeah, and, and look back at the Wolves teams in the past when KG and Marbury were, were young, and we were trying to make that push to make the playoffs, and they brought in Sam Mitchell to be that that guy. And, and as a kid who grew up watching Sam Mitchell, I'm like, well, he's not. Right. He's not that guy, but he was because of his experience. He became that guy. And, you know, I remember the Houston playoff series, you know, with Barkley and Clyde Drexler and Elijah Wan and Kevin Willis and Sam Mitchell and Kevin Willis almost were throwing hands, you know, in the playoffs. And so you you, you don't have that guy that's going to stand up for the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Towns, I mean, obviously we saw Towns getting the dust up with Embiid last year at the beginning of the season. Yeah, that was more about his own pride, though, than the pride of his team. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It was a personal beef that those two have. It wasn't so much he's going to defend his players. You know, where when Jimmy was here, and you know, for all his words, the one thing, Jimmy made sure that team, if a guy fell on the floor, you know, there was yep. three teammates there to go yep. help him up. And and Jimmy, when he wasn't even playing, when he was, you know, general soreness, he was, I remember guys getting into it, you know, on the court and, and Jimmy was tweeting, you don't want any of this smoke. You don't want mm-hmm. coaches smoke. You don't want this guy smoke. You know, he was, he was that sort of that personality. So we still need that. Yeah, and we do. You know, that's, you know, to, still to be determined. And I don't know that any of these other superstars that we were talking about wanting to get are those guys either. You know, Ben Simmons isn't that guy. Devin Booker isn't that guy. You know, um, they might have a little more swag just because of their their on-court brilliance. But we have plenty of that with Cat and D'Lo. Um, so, I, I, you know, to your point, I, I do think Ricky Rubio was a – it's going to add a lot of that leadership to, to the development of players. We just don't have that. Right. Enforcer. Yeah. And, you know, personality wise, if you can rein it in, Malik Beasley could definitely be that guy. And physically, he's not that at the same level as Jimmy Butler or James Johnson. He's not going to throw his weight around to the point that people are intimidated by him. But he has that edge, man. He's got the fire that hey, you see on the Patrick floor. Patrick Beverly doesn't have that physique. No, either. right. He's right up in people's people are, grill. Yeah. Gary Payton didn't have that physique either. Look, I, don't, I wouldn't want to mess with Malik Beasley. Out of all the guys on that team, yeah. that's the last guy I'm going to go throw it on with i mean he you know like i know he's got his legal troubles in, in minneapolis but 
when he was in Denver, he got in a fight with a Denver Bronco yeah. player. Like, he doesn't care. You know, and sometimes that's all it takes. It's not so much the biggest guy. I mean, mm-hmm. Michael O'Candy was a real big guy. He was jacked. But I don't think anybody's afraid of him. Well, I mean, you know, he's the, not an guy. The bulge on his forehead added like half his weight. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you, how much you give to the rest of them. But, but yeah, Be- I mean, Beasley is definitely a different personality on this team. And they need that. They absolutely need the fire, somebody to get, a, you know, to light it under him. Even when everybody else is shooting off, he still comes in and he's got it. So, you know, everybody that I've heard talk about, you know, Beasley coming back to this team has been super excited about the level of talent that he brings and they really like him as a player. I mean, there are other questions to go along with it, but, but he's going to be almost perfect for this team. And if he could tap into a little bit more defensive potential and use that athleticism to move his feet a little bit more, man, he would, he's going to be really great at the two. Yeah. He's a willing defender, right? Like he, he shows that energy. I think Dane and Britt, I, I, there's so many things. So I, I, get them mixed up but i think it was those two that were talking about him and they were saying how he he's at least putting in the effort and trying to defend whereas you know some of the defensive liabilities that we have on the Mm -hmm. rest of the roster are more guys just not their heads not in it or they're not consistent with their effort or whatever those kids right beasley's consistently trying hard it's just you know and part of it it's like look who knows what he'll be when he has a full well he still won't have a full camp because of the pandemic but once he's got, you know, got more time with this team. I mean, he, he came in and was, you know, lightning in a bottle as mm-hmm. soon as we got him on this roster. On even on defense. I mean, I, there was stretches in the Clipper game and, and some of those other games where he was making some some key defensive plays. I wouldn't call him a lockdown defender in those games, but he had some moments where he made a clutch play when we needed it on on defense. Um, but yeah, I, I know. Like, so when his deal came, the news on his deal came. I know you were at first, you were like, well, I'm not crazy about the money, but I'm glad we got him locked up. You know, and I, I think the the money was what you and I talked about, what we, you were sort of hoping he would get yeah. pre some of the other things that happened off the court. Um, but then you see some of these other deals that were coming down across the league. And I, I made me feel a lot better about the Beasley deal. Cause I, I would rather have Beasley than three quarters of the guys that got paid as much or more than he got paid. So again, I thought, I thought that was another good, you know, who knows if Beasley would have got even what we paid him from another team. I know the rumor was the Knicks mm-hmm. were interested, but there's not a lot of two-way guys that can shoot like him out there. And I guess two-way is probably a little generous to call him a two-way player, but he um, he's young. He can fill it up and he, you know, he can, I think his vibe on court, his energy, like you talked about in terms of being willing to sort of be that enforcer. And I think that, bodes well for a team just about any team so i there would i think teams would have started coming calling once some of those top, other top guys started falling off you know and they, they started losing on those you know i think it was wise that the wolves locked him up before you know the the bogdanovich situation resolved itself or you know uh, some of these other shooters that teams were going after because yeah. Beasley's definitely going to start getting calls i mean it makes sense that the knicks the next pressure would would have been real. They need young players, and Beasley at twenty four would definitely fit in with any timeline that you want to put on out on the floor. And when I thought, I mean, like you said, when the initial news came through, it was slightly disappointing, mostly because as the Timberwolves, I feel like you need to win every transaction, even by just a little bit, whether that's a free agency signing or a trade or a, a draft pick, where you get five to 10% more return than expected on that transaction. 
and paying guys at market value just doesn't always get you there. And that, so my initial reaction was based largely off of that. And I know that there's the Minnesota markup, you know, you need to pay guys more to be here and we're never going to get the, the marquee free agents in the first place. And there's probably a little bit of a sunk cost fallacy going on from the trade where you didn't want to have traded Covington for two first round picks and turned one of those picks around for guys that didn't end up signing back here because then what is how, you know, how do you look because of that? But God, the more that I looked into it, like you said, the, the comparable signings during this free agency period, it's hard to find one that I would have liked more than Beasley, especially for this team. Um, and then, especially when the news came out that he had a team option in his fourth year. So it's really looking at it as a, a three-year, $43.2 million deal um, instead of a four-year, $60 million deal, which not only feels better, but it gives the Wolves a little bit of power in that negotiation. And I think, like I said, that Nick's pressure was real, not only in the fact that if they had gotten to a point where they made him an offer, even if the overall money wouldn't have been any different, you probably aren't getting that fourth-year option. And they probably are throwing a trade kicker on there. And with the Wolves signing him around that $15 million mark, as you mentioned a while ago, he is probably right up there with Rubio as the number one or number two salary cap filler we have in any trade offer we want to make in the future. And I would not doubt that the Wolves took that into consideration. In their, oh, I, I think yeah. it was a major consideration. Once they got the Rubio trade done and they said, okay, well, that takes us out of any sort of expiring deal trade at the deadline for the this season right mm-hmm. um and i you know brit brought up good points the reason why it's he didn't like that that signing of or the trade for ricky rubio just for that reason he thought we could use james johnson to get a bigger star by the deadline this year and you know to you you mentioned earlier rubio on anybody's radar is a better player better value than what james johnson is on court right mm-hmm. so his value should be higher than what james Johnson's this year, next year. But more than that, I think once the Wolves got hit Ricky Rubio, knowing that Rosas and Saunders tried to get him last summer, I think they want to keep him beyond next year. And so they said, we still need one more contract about that size in order to be able to, you know, make a play for a, another star, whether it's this year or next year. So that I think made it even more important that they got a deal done with, with Beasley because he's going to, be attractive no matter what. I mean, you, you look at other guys, even not just in this free agent class, but I kept comparing it to like the Zach Levine deal, who's I think he's right around twenty million a year. Mm-hmm. And I know Zach Levine scored you know four or five points a game more than what Beasley did in the short sample size he had with the Wolves, but he also wasn't sharing the backcourt with uh, D'Angelo Russell, who's another gifted you know scorer. He's playing a lot of time, a lot of minutes with a uh, Chris Dunn, who can't you know find the ocean with his shot. So um, he had more opportunities to score. And I think Beasley's, Beasley and Levine are similar in, on their defense. Both of them are willing defenders, maybe not yeah. good defenders. Um, and, you know, Levine's got a little bit more to offer in terms of his passing game and, and some of that kind of stuff. And, you know, he's, he's a little bit more of a PR guy because he's fun to watch and that kind of thing. So he has some more value there. So I get all that. Um, but in terms of on-court production, $16 million or $15 million for Michael Beasley – I think you're getting more bang for your buck than what you're getting on court in terms of wins losses out of a guy like Zach Levine, who I would have loved to have back as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Trading down for the Chicago pick. But um, I, you know, I think Beasley's a better fit. I think he's a better value. He's going to be more attractive in a trade, which would have to include a Jarrett Culver 
or to Edwards or both mm-hmm. plus a future pick in order to get that other superstar type player. Yeah. I mean, as, and as we talked about earlier, we don't want to trade Edwards, but if we're looking at its trade for a superstar, even with both Rubio and Beasley locked up and available, that has to be very similar to what Phoenix just traded of Rubio and uh, Kelly Oubre to Oklahoma city for Chris Paul. And the overall value coming back in that is an aging point guard who was all, all world again last year, but teams continue to make the bet that he's going to fall off eventually. And if you're hoping to make a trade for one of these guys in the future, then Rubio and Beasley aren't going to get it done. And unless Culver makes a gigantic leap this year, then it's going to be Edwards. And he's going to be the only real path forward to trading for somebody like Booker, somebody like uh, Ben Simmons, as we've talked about. So um, as much as this year is going to be fun to see how these guys grow, to see if they can actually become what we want them to become, we know that that front office is always looking multiple steps ahead and they have to have the guys in place to be able to put together an offer. And it's not the reason to sign Michael Beasley, but I'll bet you it made it a lot more palatable when they looked at those numbers on their cap sheet. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree hundred percent. I mean, and I don't, you know, we, we, unless some other third star emerges outside of Simmons and Booker, those guys don't make you a championship team either because they both, you know, Simmons, isn't the score that you know Booker would be? He's not even the score that Beasley probably is, at least in terms of you know the system that Saunders wants to run with lots of perimeter shooting. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's that's the only reason why you even make a deal to trade away Edwards is you only trade him if you are getting a bona fide guy that's going to get you over the hump. Right. And I, I I don't even mean championship. I mean getting past the first or second round of the playoffs. And I, I don't know that Booker or Simmons are those guys any more than Edwards might be, right? And so, or or the the sum of Edwards and Beasley, for example, because that's you know your two main chips you would be going out. So I I don't know that I would make that move even if it did present itself because it's still a lot of capital to give up to get a to get a guy that's going to be uh, you know mm-hmm. not really making a big difference in terms of your playoff outlook. Yeah, I mean especially when we were talking about a guy like Booker near the end of the bubble last year, or I guess last year, I say last year as if it was a long time ago. It was like two months ago. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, when, when all the rumors were about Devin Booker and about how his willingness to come to Minnesota, play with his, his buddies, but I don't know, you put Booker on this team and it's not that that wouldn't be better. I mean, I don't want to overhype Edwards to the point that I would turn down a star for him, but that would be the least amount of confidence you could ever have in three all-stars on the same team actually reaching an advanced stage of the playoffs as I have ever seen. These, I mean, these aren't guys who have been weathered and made it through multiple playoff rounds on their own teams coming together for a playoff run now that they're all at the peak of their careers. This is, this is three guys with two total playoff appearances and a lot of growing left to do to actually be leaders in this league trying to put together a run when they all need to learn how to put together a run and maybe they can grow into that together. Cause the talent's there when there's no denying the talent, but how long is your window? I mean, you got three years left before Russell's a free agent. And then are we signing all three of them to super maxes? What does that look like? You know, it's just, that's yeah. never going to happen in Minnesota. So it, like you said, I, I would be hesitant to really 
pull the trigger now, and that's mainly because I am always championship first. And I, that may be a fool's gold as a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, and it's why through 31 years this has been a long and painful process. But any move that does not look towards a championship, that is just a, we need to pull whatever strings we can to get into playoffs, is just I'm out on that completely. And I'm not saying that's what Devin Booker is. I'm not going to insult him that way, but... Combined with, I mean, it's largely an indictment of what Cat and D'Lo are. It's not like we have LeBron and Anthony Davis here just waiting for a third star to come in and make him a guaranteed championship. This is clear flaws in the two best players on the team. They've both been all-stars, and they both have a ton of potential, but there's not one player out there that would take this and turn it into a clear championship favorite. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, we've, we've suffered through enough of those years. I'm not... Obviously, I would love to see a championship here. It's a little hard. It's a lot harder in basketball than it is in football, for example, to to do that in a market like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my uh, my goal first would be to be a perennial playoff team, just to make your, your your team relevant again. And I think that'll take care of some of the other issues. Where also now you might be able to attract a a veteran to say, hey, I, I like a Chris Paul. For example, let's say he was a free agent and he could look at a team like Minnesota and say, "Okay, well, I'm not going to rule them out. I, yeah. I think I could be the guy that could get them over the hump and and compete for a title there." Um, but you look at, you know, you look at the Miami Heat this year making the finals, and you know they didn't, they weren't super competitive against the Lakers in the finals, but they destroyed everybody in the East. They crushed and, them, yeah. And they weren't, they're not, you know, markedly more talented than the Timberwolves. They just fit better, right? All those guys fit together really, really well. But I don't think you can look at that team and say that they're, well, you can see their bench is a lot more talented. You don't look at their starters and say that's a more talented starting five than the Timberwolves. You know, you, you can make an argument that they are, but it's not like it's a mm-hmm. you know, a given, right? Like, so I, they, but they fit together perfectly. And so I think that's where you kind of have to look at w- what Rosas and Saunders do, you know, to me, why I wouldn't I wouldn't give up the farm for a, a Simmons or a Booker because I don't think they fit together with you know D'Lo and Cat outside of the friendship component of it any more than you know Edwards may fit um, even though I think their talent might be higher than Edwards but you're giving up other assets with Edwards in order to get those guys so I would probably wait to see what other guys become disgruntled where they're at or or teams fall apart you know I think a guy like a Paul George would probably fit this team better. But I don't know that he's as good as well. I don't think he's as good as Booker or Simmons. Yeah. Um, you know, in the next three years of his career, so you know, I don't know that you give give up as much for him either because of that. So I I don't know what the answer is. I I just it's not as given anymore to give up. You know, prior to knowing what you're going to get in mm-hmm. the draft, when it was just a pick, the number one pick, which is weird, right? Because normally it's it works the reverse. People always value the pick higher than the player. Yeah. In this draft, knowing what that you got Ricky Rubio in a trade on draft night, now Edwards becomes more valuable than the pick because, you know, that you, you can see a, a plan where Edwards fits together in the backcourt with D'Lo or fits uh, as a small forward or a power forward with Ricky on the floor as well. So you can have a D'Lo and, and Ricky backcourt and a Beasley and Edwards, you know, wings. Um, so I, I, I think that ultimately you just kind of want to see how things play out and kind of see what other guys kind of bubble up to being made available, whether it's 
you know, through a, a Clippers team that seems that they're changing direction a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get a Kawhi Leonard, but maybe you do get a Paul George, or maybe you get, you know, you're not going to be in the Giana sweepstakes either, but you might be able to get the third star from a team that's making a, a play to get Giannis. You might be able to work your way into that deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think this gives you flexibility to, to, to do that rather yeah. than chase that third guy and just say, hey, look, you know, which I think was Britt's argument, right? Britt's argument is get that third star, get Booker, get Simmons. Don't trade for, you know, Rubio because you, you'd be, have a better chance of tr- getting those guys this trade deadline with um, James Johnson. And then you go and have those three guys. Well, now what do you do? You still have a flawed team, flawed starting five that you still have to find a way to add pieces to. Now it's much harder because you have three max players. You don't have any more assets to trade for guys because you're losing Beasley, you're losing Edwards, you're losing draft picks, you're probably losing Culver. Mm-hmm. So, like, wh- what do you have to... To round to it build out. up around yep. that, yeah, I, I think you, you're in a worse position, frankly, than you would be in the position the Wolves are in now, where you still have flexibility. I, not saying that they're a better team than what that that team would be, but you're in a better position to make that the right move than you would be if you, you know, well, kept James Johnson. I mean, and like I said earlier, if you're shooting for a championship, if you're not shooting for a second round playoff exit, you you need to have as many bullets in your barrel as you can get, and you need more than one of them to hit. And if Edwards turns into Devin Booker, that's one step closer, but I don't think that even gets us there. And that's assuming we still have Edwards and Malik Beasley. So we need to take multiple chances. We need to make sure that we have as many possibilities in place as possible. And that, I mean, that really brings us back to how the rest of this draft played out with the other two picks that they made because they, they trade 20, five and 33 to move up two spots to pick 23 which if we were saying that (laughs) moving from 17 to for 25 and 29 wasn't that big of a a deal then this was an overpay to move up two spots but um and i have more thoughts on what could have been done with that that 33 pick but they they go with the balmero there guy out of spain a guy playing in spain from argentina he obviously has a relationship with prigioni and what that said to me was two different things. One is that they are taking a look at their cap sheet and they can't afford to, to draft a guy right there. They don't want to have too many rookies coming in on first round salaries, which as has been proven through free agency was true. They don't have very much room under the luxury tax unless they want to make more trades to go clear more, more salaries. But number two is that they, they're trying to make, give themselves some protection for next year with that pick. They traded away in the Andrew Wiggins D deal. They got to have somebody possibly coming in next year, if not the, the year after, depending on how quickly Balmero matures. And it could be, you know, a long road for him. He's got to work on his shot. He's got to fig- and get a little bit stronger in his lower body and figure out exactly how he's going to migrate over here to the to the NBA. But they're swinging for the fences again there um, with a, with a overseas you know drafting stash, trying to get somebody in place that could be you know one of those roll the dice players that can hopefully get them to a, a little bit closer to what their eventual goal is. Yeah, and I don't know a ton about Bomaro. I mean, only what I've read after the draft. I yeah. didn't read anything about him going into the draft because I didn't look at him as a likely candidate for us. But I I love the draft and stash philosophy there because, you know, you had three first-round picks that you were still going to be picking even after all the trades were done. And the last thing his team needed was three more rookies to find minutes. You know, you ha- you still have guys like, I don't know how Culver gets minutes, you know, with this team now. And he was a much higher pick than either of those guys. Yeah. So, you know, you have, you have a minutes problem, you know, to, and not, not just get those guys playing time. It's 
to develop them so that, you know, whether they're going to be players for you in the long run or they're going to be assets for you to trade. Because, you know, the, to Britt's point on his, the podcast with Dane, he he pointed out the fact that, you know, Culver's development could be hindered by the Rubio trade and the mm-hmm. Beasley signing because he won't, he'll have less minutes. And he's right. It, it might be hurt by that, which is why I've been advocating that they should try to trade him now. Yeah. You know, because I don't think he's going to be a difference maker in a trade for a star later. So I don't think you're really hurting yourself there. He, he might be a throw-in kind of thing for one of those trades. But honestly, I don't think he's going to be the guy that if you, if you don't include a Culver and in a trade for Simmons that they're going to pull the deal right. the table. And you know, maybe, maybe I'll be proven wrong because maybe he'll have a much better year this year than he did last year. But to me, he's not going to get mad. So maybe move him now while there's still you know, some, some value there um, just to clear the way for other guys, guys that – were better players. Jake Lehman was a better player than Culver last year. He deserves more minutes if you're going to try to win this year. Um, not not win at all. We just win. Just get to a respectable mm-hmm. 500 record or you know that kind of a a, a step forward. So yeah, I, 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 having a guy that you can draft and stash overseas, I think, is one of the ways to do that to to keep. A roster spot open for a guy that's going to be able to help, whether that be an Ed Davis, whether that be um, a J Mac or somebody like that, um, who you think can play. I mean, because you know both those guys are going to help you more than whoever that yeah. whoever else you would take instead of Leandro there. You know, so yeah. Again, I, I think it was the right decision. So then they turn around at twenty nine and take a guy who's not a draft and stash, but obviously isn't going to be fighting for minutes this year because he is a project, but. Jaden McDaniel's coming in, and I likened it very much to Rose's answer to flip drafting Zach Levine and taking that home run shot, because everything I've read about this guy says has every tool you could want. Like they're going for the the Kevin Durant mold with this kid, but has so many things he needs to work on to achieve his potential. And he's going yeah, to yeah, hurt his value. Yeah. It's one year, you know, playing. Yep. Um, but you know, you and I talked prior to this after the draft actually about Rosas and Saunders going after guys who had high scouting grades mm-hmm. coming out of high school and maybe you know didn't fit right with their college team or you didn't fit the system whatever the case may be um and taking a swing with them like they did with Nas Reed who panned out I mean Nas Reed was a much more productive player than how you acquired him yeah. so I, you know, I don't, again, he's another guy I didn't read a ton about um, until after the draft. I like what I read. But, yeah, I, I agree. He's not going to play many, if any, minutes this year uh, for an NBA team. But he, he'll he play in the G League and yeah. some and, and, and develop. Um, and, you know, you you know he's he's kind of like, to me, he's kind of like the, the Vanderbilt, you know, where you have this guy and you're kind of like, you know, teased with the talent and, and the stuff you read yeah, about. Yeah. Like, hey, I want to see it on the court. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, when you're picking in the middle or towards, you know, the second or third of the um, first round, you're, you might as well swing for the fences. You mm-hmm. know, like, you're not looking for singles there for when you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs. Nope. You know, all but one year out of the last 15 or whatever. Meanwhile, there are plenty of singles and doubles to be hit heading into the end of the first round and the early second round in this draft. We were texting through the whole thing with a number of players that were still sitting out there either at power forward or even coming in as a third point guard, especially with the veteran presences that we have in position, which which kind of makes it interesting that they were willing to give up that 33 pick to move up two spots to get Balmero. So unless they had 
intel that Balmero was going 24 if they didn't make that deal. It seems interesting that they would really go hard on really tying themselves to Jordan McLaughlin, who has been hurt by being a restricted two-way player in this free agency period, judging by the fact that he still hasn't been signed. But if they're looking for a third point guard, I think their their options are limited now to really Jordan McLaughlin. And I think they want to have him back, and I we would all love to have him back. But if they had kept that 33 pick, I mean, there were plenty of players available sitting there. And I'm, you know, I was trying not to be a homer with this one because I really don't care about Minnesota prospects. It doesn't do anything for me. But seeing some of the numbers that were coming out in Trey Jones as he was getting ready in the draft combines and putting out some of his measurement testing, if you could have a guy with his defensive potential coming in at that 33, 33rd pick, I think that would be would have been a nice fit on this team to have somebody that could come in and really be a dog on defense. So um, not saying that they made the wrong choice. It seemed like they overpaid slightly, and that would have been a different way to go, and we'll really see what comes out of a potential Jordan McLaughlin trade here or signing here to really bring in that third point guard to shore up that, that backcourt rotation. Yeah, I, the way I read it was... That- I read it all along that they like Jordan McLaughlin and they're hoping to get him back regardless. Mm-hmm. And then they make the Rubio trade that night. I, I think they were looking at with those second two picks in the first round, they were going to, one of them was assuredly going to be a draft and stash guy. Yep. And I think maybe they thought Leandro wouldn't be there for the second of those two picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took them where they did. And I think they needed, they knew they needed a big because they, at that point, you know, you know Hernan Gomez wasn't re-signed. Yep. Um, we didn't have Ed Davis. We had Omari Spellman, who didn't even play last year, so I don't know why they would expect him to play this year. So they needed a power forward just to roster yeah. on this team. So I think they were always going to take a big there. Um, and it was just a matter of because they knew it was going to be a development player. And then they were still, whether they knew Ed Davis was already a guy they were talking to, I don't know if they were talking about him mm-hmm. on draft night. I'm sure he was on their list somewhere. But there was rumors they're talking, you know, tr- trying to find a trade with for Aaron Gordon or yep. and a couple other big, big Damon Jones, I believe, a couple other guys. But I, I they, it was I, to me, it was clear that they needed a, a power forward in that spot. Whether they traded that pick, got somebody that could play now. I don't think all those guys that you and I were texting back and forth with. To your point, they might have been a, a double or a single. Yeah. But I don't think even those guys make your team better this year to play. Because you already were still so young. I mean, D'Lo and Cat are still pretty inexperienced in the grand scheme of things compared to the other powers in the West. Um, and then you got Beasley, who wasn't even a starter until the last 14 games or whatever it was of the season last year. And then you have, you know, Hernan Gomez, who was your penciled in power forward if you can retain him. So I, I think that they were, they knew they were bringing in a veteran come hell or high water, whether it was through trade or however they were going to get that guy. And I think, you know, they made the right move by swinging for a home run with the pick and using their cap space and their other assets and Spellman to trade for a guy that can play the spot for you competently now. And I don't think Ed Davis is going to be a starter for us. I think Hernan Gomez will probably start. Yeah. Um, But he will be a guy that plays, you know, probably significant minutes, at least early on in the season, just because he, he knows Vanderpool's defensive system. He's played with D'Lo before. You know, there's a lot of things to like about what he brings to the table. Absolutely. And like I said, I don't think it's a judgment on Jordan McLaughlin. It'll just be interesting to see how that plays out as as, as he continues to sit unsigned. Um, you brought you brought up 
the uh, the high school rankings earlier, and this is something. This isn't something that we we figured out. This is directly from Dane Moore. And if you're not following Dane, you should be because if you're interested in Timberwolves news or analysis, he's he's kind of the guy to go to right now. Um, Dane at Dane Moore NBA on Twitter, but he laid out the pre or the pre uh, college high school rankings from ESPN.com for all of the players that Rosas has brought into this team, and the only outlier from this list is Jared Culver because. Anthony Edwards was number four. Uh, Jaden McDaniels is number seven in his class. Uh, Ashton Higgins, who we haven't even brought up yet, but was who was a post-draft uh, undrafted free agent signing by the Wolves, was number 20 last year. Uh, Nas Reed came in at number 12. Vanderbilt was number 19. Beasley, 28. J- either, even Noel was number 59. Lehman was 67. Jordan McLaughlin, number 41 in his class. D'Angelo Russell, number 13. And Ed Davis, now number 11. So nothing but high highly recruited prospects who have probably been some of the which have been in the league longer than others so it's hard to really give that much much weight but there's definitely a trend there and we likened it to um to Daryl Morey's uh tendency to uh, to typically bring in um kind of lottery busts guys who have been drafted high in the lottery and not and flamed out with their original team and he likes to just take the bet on talent and hope that a new situation will, will play out so um, and as i mentioned Jarrett culver number 312 coming out of high school wow so uh he's he's the well, outlier on the list definitely but i also think that that was a you know plan b last year right yeah. like they traded up they traded dario to trade up last year and i think they were going after garland and when he came up the board to Cleveland, right ahead of them, who just drafted Colin Sexton the year before, they were sort of shocked. And they were kind of like, oh, now what? You mm-hmm. know, who's the, who's the next guy on our board? And, you know, there was reasons to like Culver. He could play, you know, they, they thought maybe he could be a point guard or a point forward um, and be that bigger bigger guard that they always covet. But, I, yeah, I, I don't think Culver was really what Rosas's plan A would have been. So I, I think the plan or the – those rankings would have been still consistent because it had, I don't know what Garland's uh, ranking was coming out of high school, but I'm guessing it was quite a bit higher than Jarrett Culver's. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you brought up um, Hagman. I, that's another reason why I don't think they went point guard. Yeah. With that second first round pick after, or the, the third first round pick when they took McDaniel or why they were okay trading the 33rd because you know they probably had it under, you know, pretty good authority that he was probably going to fall off the draft and they have relationships with mm-hmm. Kentucky already, you know, with towns and stuff. So that I'm sure they were close to that situation. They kind of knew, Hey, like this is a, this is a target. We're going to go after him. Um, he's not going to be a guy that plays this year at all either. Yeah. I, I don't think, but I think because they knew Jordan McLaughlin was going to be their third point guard, a third point guard who, isn't going to play a lot when you have Ricky Rubio and D'Angelo Russell, two of the best, better point guards in the league. So you're not going to have the, your third point guard playing a, a lot of minutes. Um, but McLaughlin fits that role perfectly if you can get, bring him back on that two-way deal. And then Hagman's a guy that you can kind of develop into the, your you know, your third point guard of the future, which is kind of a weird thing to say. You yeah. know? But I don't I don't think you know despite his high school ranking, I don't think anyone sees him as a you know, a uh, uh, all-star guy down the road, no. um, you know, maybe a starter, but I think he's probably more of a six man type of guy. If he hits all, everything right, right. Everything breaks the right way for him because he's not a good shooter and stuff, but he's a, just a pit bull on defense, which is what, you know, you, you want at mm-hmm. your point guard position 
coming off the bench for this team. Yeah, the league is just still a harsh place for point guards who can't shoot. So yeah, we'll see it what is. it can turn into. And doubly so with Rosas, you know, the, the kind of ball he wants to play. So. Yep. All right, so we've talked about the draft. We walked a lot through the Malik Beasley signing. Um, and as we mentioned, at that point, they were still sitting there without a power forward on the roster. Um, seemed like they let the process play out a little bit more, but they did eventually bring back Wancho, uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez, who they came, who came over with Beasley last year in the Robert Covington trade, as we mentioned. Uh, three years, $21 million, uh, initially reported, which um, at least wasn't the full mid-level. It left them a little bit of wiggle room to, to make some other moves. Um, and as it came out later, they had, the team once again had a team option in the third year. So really a two-year, $13.48 million deal, which is got to be the going rate for a guy that can step in as a starter at power forward and shoot you know shoot the three the way he can and I, he's not a perfect player he's not uh the defender that you'd really want next to cat um as Britt has pointed out he has trouble moving his feet sometimes um but at the same time he is not being paid at a level that you don't feel completely comfortable sliding him to the bench if another opportunity comes along to to put a, a guy ahead of him if you can make a big trade for a guy like ben simmons and wancho isn't included in that he's making you know, seven million a year. He's not making a, you know, twenty where you can't slide him in. You got to figure out the roster around him. He's definitely primed for. Let's try him out at the start of this year. If he if it works out, then great. If he doesn't, then he's a good bench piece. Yeah, I, and I think I, I we haven't really talked about it specifically. I I don't so I don't know. I only know what you say about him. I don't know exactly whether you like him or not. But my guess is my my hunch is that I like him a little better than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, he's not the perfect player. He 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 wasn't good on defense last year. Again, I I don't know how much we can really read into him or Beasley on defense. I mean, they came into the the, the team late. Um, they had no training camp. They're not going to have a training camp this year. I get all that. Um, but they've had you know a couple. They had the bubble camp and and whatever. Some although he was filming a movie, I believe, so he might not have been there. Right. Um, so we'll have to see what he does defensively. But to me, whatever he does defensively is a bonus. I think offensively, he's a nice, he's a nice find for $7 million a year. I mean, he can hit the shot from outside. He's long. He, to me, he does it. He actually reminds me a lot of Dario, but he moves a lot better than Dario. And while Dario isn't perfect, Dario is making a lot more money. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, uh, Dario is a better defender, but he's, and he's a better passer, but, uh, you know, Hancho's younger. Dario is what he is. Dario's not getting better. I think Hancho can get better. I think having Ricky on the team where they play together in Spain, I think that's going to make him a better player. It's going to help him along with learning the scheme on this team once, you know, they have whatever, you know, shortened training camp they have this year before the season kicks off. I think that'll help him develop a little bit better. So, yeah, I I, I like the move. I was, you know, I know you know when I, we were text back and mm-hmm. forth that I, through the whole process, I was like, well, I just, I really want him back. I actually wanted him back more than I wanted Beasley back. Not because I think he's a better player than Beasley, but because we had so many wings. I was yeah. like, well, look, if we lose out on Beasley, we got Culver. Um, you still have the minutes still... taken care of. That's yeah, not a problem. Right. Right. And so you lose a lot of your shooting because he's a much better shooter, but you, you know, you still have your minutes and Honcho can actually make up some of that shooting that you lose. If you lost Beasley, at least you have another guy that can shoot a little bit from the outside. So, um, I, I, again, I think it's another good move. I, I can't think of other guys that were available that I would have preferred over Honcho. So I'm glad we got Honcho. Yeah, I'd rather have a guy, the guy we know than the guy we don't know. Um, so I thought it was a good move. I mean, it, you pair that up again to me, you pair the Edwards draft pickup 
with the trade for Ricky Rubio. And so you got the playmaking, you got the defense, the stuff that you were hoping to get out of a LaMelo ball, and you get Edwards on top of that. Now you pair the Honcho signing with the Ed Davis trade. You got a, a post player that can play some defense and and has a, some a veteran presence who's he's got some experience, who he knows Vanderpool's system. And you pair that with the upside of a Honcho who you know, he's not going to be an all-star. He's like, to your point, I don't think he's a long-term starter. Mm-hmm. He's a starter for this year. I don't think that contract even makes him feel like he's entitled to being the starter beyond, you know, whatever period it lasts until somebody else better comes along or a better fit or, or develops into that, whether maybe it's Anthony Edwards that develops into that power forward spot. Who knows? He grew an inch since right. the last time they measure him. He could be six, nine by December. <laughs> um, the, so, the, the Giannis syndrome. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? So yeah, let's let's see how that goes. But I I thought it was a good signing. I mean, I, I'm glad he's back because I liked what I saw to him last year. And maybe it's just because the, the team was felt stale, felt beaten down last year. And then the D'Lo comes in, and mm-hmm. Hancho comes in, and Beasley comes in, and there was all this excitement and just the way they played. I, I I'm totally aware that I might be viewing it from that lens, where I was like, oh well, there just feels like a different energy, even though they weren't markedly better. So I think that uh, I want to see more of that, I guess, um, yeah. and see what we can get out of it. And I think it's a very low-risk move because $7 million in today's NBA, it's it's not a lot of money. No, it, it'll fit perfectly. And if he could learn how to actually convert a layup, that would go a long ways towards my enjoyment of watching him. It, it felt like yeah. he missed so many layups after the he Spaniards came don't know how to finish, do they? They, <laughs> they, they must, they must not practice that. In Spain. Yeah, I was somehow more confident in his three-point shot than I was in him finishing around the basket. But agreed, same, yeah, same. But, but man, with, yeah. with healthy towns, he's not going to get a lot of those. No, he will, he's not going to shoot a lot with this team. There's definitely no, plenty of guys no. who want the ball. But man, I went to that uh, that Clippers game right after the trade deadline. Um, I think it was the second game after the deadline, or after they made all the trades. I don't know if it was yeah, technically, yeah. They, but the one they won without, without without Dio, Russell. Right? Yeah, Russell hadn't played yet. Um, I think he was in town, but he hadn't been cleared he was to play. On the bench. Yeah, yeah, he was on the. I was at the game. Too. Yeah, and and he was the number one cheerleader. Yeah, but they made twenty six threes in that game, and yeah. every single one yeah, like eight of them or something. Yeah, he was just on fire, just screaming Wancho from the, the from the stands, just super excited. I mean, it was you put together an offensive performance like that, and it's not going to come every night, and it's also not going to be paired with amazing defense on this team. But if you have Russell and Beasley and Wancho and Towns out there, you have more shooting than any team is ever going to need to really have a top tier offense. So you have a night like that where if they all get hot, yeah. you can beat any team in this league because it's going to be hard for even the best teams yep. in the league to keep up with firepower like that. But to your point, you, you're not banking on that. That's not going to be your offense. You're not going to just say, oh, we're going to hit, you know, 38 threes yeah. tonight. Team. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's, it, you know, it's it's exciting. I like that move. I, and, you know, I keep going back to this because we didn't see a lot of it this last year, but playing Jake Lehman more at the four as well because, you know, it's a small sample size, but Jake, I, I think the Wolves, I, I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact numbers, but they're right around a 500 team when he was playing last year on a bad team. You know, he made them better, um, whether that's just because – he kind of knows where to be. He knows, he knows how to play basketball. Yeah. You know, he's not, he doesn't excel at any one thing, but he's, he kind of reads, reads the guard. If, if he can slash the hoop and get open, if the, if he can see the guard looks like, okay, the guard's not going to go anywhere with this. So he, I, I need to get, put myself in position to get the ball. He makes plays. And so he should get more playing time as well. You know, which is, again, brings me back to, I don't know where you find room for Culver on the yeah. court unless it's an injury because I just don't see Culver outplaying it 
you know, Beasley, Rubio, um, Cole, uh, Lehman, or, I mean, Hunter. Because Culver's not going to play the four. So he's just out of the running for those minutes. I mean, he might outplay a Jake Lehman some nights, but Jake Lehman can play the four. Yeah, he's more and, versatility yeah. at that point. Yeah. I mean, Culver's only chance is to outplay Okogie. I mean, it's really one or the other at this point with the number yeah, of other wings and guards they brought in. Britt thinks, is it Britt that thinks Okogie's going to play power forward? You know, I, mean, um, I think Dane's pushed it. Dane's been the one who suggested it. Yeah, I remember it was on their podcast. I couldn't remember which one took it. And that's an interesting thing as well because, yeah, you're right. It was Dane because Britt was saying how he's, mm-hmm. oh, he is good on the baseline and and yep. um, and I love Josh Kogi. So I want to see him get more minutes. I mean, he's he's a, a spitfire. On, you know, he, you don't know what you're gonna get because on offense he's a, kind of a spaz. You know, he, he's so fast mm-hmm. all the time. He only has one speed and it's you know, 180 miles an hour. So you you hope that he can kind of slow down a little bit to kind of figure out, um, you know, if he can kind of develop a jumper that's reliable and that kind of thing. But defensively, I mean, he's one of those guys that not only is he willing, that he kind of prides himself in. He's he, Him and Ricky are maybe the only two guys on the team that are sort of look at themselves as defensive players, you know, yeah. where um, Okogi, that's really his identity, you know. And I think going back to that, playoff series with Houston and him Ding up James Harden and, you know, wanting that responsibility of defending the best guy in mm-hmm. the team, you know, you want a guy like that to get more minutes on this team because nobody else has that sort of dynamic to them. No. And he's still a young guy, like we've talked about, but I could easily see him from everything we've heard so far in four or five years, being a guy like Ed Davis, who's being talked about as one of the greatest teammates in the league. Yeah, And Davis coming in with the reputation that he has, having played for the number of teams that he has. I mean, Damian Lillard said if there's one player he'd like to play with again, it'd be Ed Davis because of how close they were when they played together in Portland. And Ed Davis is just universally respected as a great teammate. And to bring him in for flotsam, for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, Guys are never going to play here yeah. that you're going to do anything with. Evan Spellman and a 2026 second-round pick, which is nothing. I mean, yeah. maybe it's something at some point, but we just saw them throw in the 33rd pick, which actually had value just to move up two spots in the first round. So certain teams value second-round picks differently. And for to one six years out, we can't even really worry yeah, about that right now. You buy second-round picks, you yeah. get second-round picks thrown in. I mean, there'll be three or four more second-round picks thrown in trades that we make between now and then anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, Ed Davis comes in with a one-year $5 million deal, so he's... He's an, an expiring, so it's not like a guy that's probably going to be around for a long time, especially with the way this roster turns over and the, the front office that we have. But to have, like we talked about, another adult in the room, especially in those front court meetings, those you know, center power forward meetings where they're trying to work with Vanderpool on defensive systems, you know, with a guy that's been with Vanderpool before in Portland and can actually exemplify them. He can show his strong defensive skills and the reason why he's been a good pairing for almost everybody that he's played with on the defensive side of the basketball to just have that experience and come in and be that veteran presence that voice the same thing we talked about with rubio on the other side of the ball is just going to be not only a good help to this team and their ability to defend and their ability to round out their roster with some more big bodies but to have veterans on the team and you know you brought up the Miami Heat earlier and the comparable level of talent in the starting lineups I mean I think we both probably say with how far they got they have to have more talent than the Timberwolves do but what they have more so than that is 
just a team of veterans who know how to play hard-nosed basketball and they know their role and they know how to win at a high level and you can't compete at a high level with a team of 23 24 25 year olds it's just not how the league works even if you have the talent to do so that's it's not going to get you where you want to go you're not going to compete for a championship unless you are at a veteran team i can't remember the last time somebody did it's just not it's just doesn't work that way so you have to have good strong veterans on your team and you are typically competed for a championship when your best players are your good strong veterans but you have to have those guys the andre Godalas, the jay crowders the goran dragic's that can step in and just I've, they've been around the block two or three times they know exactly how to win especially in a tight-knit playoff setting and that's just something that timberwolves did not have entering this offseason and something they yeah. really needed to go out and, and solve well and miami has it not just with you know some of their veteran players but they also have it with um pat riley yep. and eric Spolstra, two two guys that have also done it you know our coaching staff hasn't even done it. the other point that i i like about ed davis is you know like you said he's played with portland he, you know in vanderpool's system he played with jake layman there as well um but similar to what ricky can do to help delo kind of know where to be positionally on defense that kind of stuff i think ed davis can help towns if nothing else let towns trust okay, I know this guy's going to have my back. You know, I think the biggest thing for Towns on defense, I think one-on-one Towns is an okay defender. You know, and he has moments where he he rises to the occasion mm-hmm. and actually looks like a good defender one-on-one. It's, it is when he tries to help, you know, somebody else that gets beat where he just, he has no idea where to go, who to cover, who to rotate to. And I think having a guy like Ed Davis who plays a similar position to him in the same defense, you know, he, he has experience in that defense, he can help communicate that to Towns like okay here's when you want to roll here's who you want to go to you know in this system here's here's how you're going to be the most efficient on defense and that will help and then just Ed Davis knowing where to be so that Towns doesn't get as exposed as much I think that'll that'll help so um you know it it, it, that's another Pat and Rose's move I can't somebody else wrote how many guys that the the Rosas has brought in who has played with Vanderpool yeah, or for Interpol at some point, you know, it's probably um, Dane I, again. I mean, Dane's on top of all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's my favorite. If, if uh, you're not listening to the Dane Moore NBA podcast, go jump on that right away. If you're listening to us and you haven't listened to him, you're you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. I'm sure they <laughs> they find us. They they know Dane. Yeah, but you know, they're it's it's the, by design, right? Like Rosas is trying to bring in guys that can help you know, speed up this process. Yep. And the way to do that is bringing guys who know the system of the, you know, whether it's in this case, the defensive coaches, I mean, Saunders, his, he didn't, he was not a head coach or, you know, anywhere else besides here. So his system is the first time these guys are learning it. Um, with the exception of Ricky, Ricky knows it a little bit, you know, because his previous time here. Um, so that is one guy that can, at least on the offensive side of the ball, who will know, be able to help that, that, system mm-hmm. but yeah you know so uh, that's where i think ed davis I, i'll be interested to see how many minutes that davis gets like are they going to play him you know 30 35 minutes you know like taj played back in the day or you know i mean even james johnson when he came in last year he played a lot of minutes but that was sort of out of necessity i don't yeah. think it was by design. i don't i think that I, the hope was that he would come in and play six seven minutes a night um but and then towns you know, didn't play the rest of the year yeah so right. he needed him yeah um so and will you know will nas reed play minutes with towns you know some just because Nas Reed played a lot they relied on him a lot last year mm-hmm. and 
I don't think they expected it, but I also think it was a pleasant find that they found and what Nas was able to do for them. Um, he, so he kind of earned that, right? And I, so I don't think they're just going to bury him now, you know, with a healthy Carl Anthony Towns. I think that they will play them, you know, in bigger lineups, not yeah. for long stretches, maybe two, or two to four minutes a night, you know, against certain teams. But I, I think Nas still has a place on his team as well to play. Yeah, and you know they're sitting right now with five true bigs on their roster. They got Towns and Nas, who are really their centers, and then Wancho, Davis, and Vanderbilt at power forward, and that's excluding the options of sliding somebody up like a Layman or a Nikogi or even an Edwards to play power forward. So they have options. They can figure it out. I would still like to depend on Nas probably a little bit less than it looks like they're going to. Um, I like, like you said, I like the find. I like the the overlap of skills he has with towns to the point that you don't have to completely change your system uh when he comes right. in um well and he's gonna get a lot of minutes just from the knights towns is in fall trouble early yeah. and, and things like that too but i i think that they'll just out of you know i don't know what you call it owing it to him or what they'll give him some opportunities to at least see what they got with them the two of them together you know i don't think it works well i don't think it's going to be but you know we look back at the gorgie jang and and towns pairing and that was the best pairing talent had outside of kg and uh, you know there's some correlations between Nas and gorgie too you know they're similar athleticism you move similarly that kind of thing so uh, you know the, the, it could end up being one of those pairings where you look back and you're like wow that actually defensively right. worked better than i expected even if it didn't work as much offensively <laughs> so yeah i mean if you could say, if you could name one thing that you'd like to see coming up next on this roster, one more move that you'd like to see, what would it be? Uh, moving Culver. Yeah. Just, you know, I, nothing against Culver. I mean, Culver had signs. I think he's one of our faster players. So, like, when you, when, you know, that's a thing. It's hard to say. I, I say moving Culver, but I, I maybe I'll backtrack on that. I mean, it's all relative to what you get back. It is, Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, and that's why I was saying Culver first is because it means moving Culver, I'm less reliant on what comes back because it just opens up pathways to the other guys playing mm-hmm. more minutes, right? But I also would like to see a guy like Culver play with a guy like Ricky Rubio who knows how to make those kind of guys better. I mean, Culver, was he had some wheels on him. He's pretty quick. And, yeah. you know, I could see a bench lineup coming out where it's Okogi, Culver, and Ricky and just running up and down, you know, and they might not be getting a lot of threes like Saunders wants in that system, but they're going to be getting a lot of high percentage shots at the hoop, you know, layups and dunks, alley-oops. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- that part I want to see. But I, I would still like to get a starting caliber power forward, that you starting caliber in the sense of, like, this is the guy I can see being our starter for the next three or four years. Yeah. You know, I don't know that Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Gordon's that guy, but I don't know that he's that guy for this team because, you know, I don't think he – helps them defensively. And I think that's what you need. I think you need a defensive power forward because you have very little defense on the rest of the starting lineup. So um, I don't have a, a name in mind of who I'd want to go after, but that would be the spot, right? Like, so it'd be the cover would be the chip and the spot would be a defensive power forward. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think, how about all, you? Uh, I'd largely be on the same boat just because it makes the most sense. I don't see him having the minutes that he needs to really progress here the way that you'd want him to. Um, I know they still think highly of him. At least that's been reported even by, you know, Zach Lowe at ESPN to the point that if they consider trading Culver, it's going to be in a move for a star at some point. Um, but at this point, to to really give him a chance to grow and increase his value, he's going to be taking minutes from somebody else. And I don't know who that is at this point. 
because right. it's, it's not going to be Ricky. It's not going to be D'Lo. It's not going to be Anthony Edwards. And it's not going to be uh, Beasley at, from what you just signed him for. So he's not getting minutes at the one or two. And, you know, you have a little bit of a gap at the three. You could have him split time with um, with a Kogi there or a Lehman, depending on what type of roster you want to roll out. You could, you know, he can play the three. He's got a little bit of size to him. Um, but at the same time, I just, there are other guys that seem better suited for that fifth spot in our lineup. And as you mentioned, it's just, it's not that I want to get rid of Culver for any specific reason. I would like to see what he can become. And I think you're kind of selling him at the bottom of his value right now. But to round out the roster to somebody that could actually play a little bit more, it, it seems to make sense. Um, like I said, I'd like, I'd like to see them not be as dependent on, on Reed. And if maybe if Vanderbilt continues to put on a little bit of size, maybe he's more of a center than a power forward with his inability to shoot, but his proficiency and rebounding and, and low, you know, download defensive work. But, uh, but yeah, I'm not sure where else you go from here besides uh, packaging some pieces together and something that's unforeseen. Yeah. And the you know, Atlanta, supposedly is looking for a small forward, like a yeah. more of a full-time small forward and, and potentially willing to trade John Collins or that would be the odd man out there. Uh, I know you mentioned it to me first and I was like, no way they're not going to trade John Collins. But mm-hmm. then I've seen other guys mention it since then Hollinger being one of them who says he thinks they, sh- they should move him just because fit wise that he doesn't think he fits any longer. I, you know, Culver straight up for Collins is probably not going to work, but that might be a package that you can make a move around and that would be the type of guy that I don't know how you, if you are able to resign him, then uh, that would be tough. But you know, that kind of a move where you're, you're trading a guy, like you said, Culver might be at the lowest value that you, mm-hmm. since you had him, but he's still young. He's only one year removed from being the fifth pick in the draft. You trade him for somebody else's pick that maybe didn't pan out the way they expected. Right. So you, that's a, you know, that's the kind of guys you're looking at, you know, Mo Bamba's, those kind of guys that I just off the top of my head of, of players that fit the position you need and who aren't looking for another 15 shots a night on a team that's full of offensive guys. Do you trade for, are you, would you have a willingness or a stomach for trading for Jonathan Isaac with his being yeah. out for the year? Yeah. I'm one. I think Isaac's going to be really good. So yeah. yeah, I would, I would trade if, if it was just, if call, are you, well, you mean I, I, I think it's going to be more than Culver. It's going yeah, to be but it's going to be like a pick yeah. or something yeah. or a Culver. And yeah. yeah, it's not going to be another player that you already have. It's not going to be Edwards or something like that. But um, but yeah, I would do something like that, especially because then you play in the long game. You're, Isaac's not coming in and taking minutes away from anybody to develop. So you can kind of see what those other guys mm-hmm. have. And then, you know, maybe you find out, oh, well, some, another star came up. We're going to trade Beasley and Edwards. For this other star, and the other star's a shooting guard, and now Isaac fits even better. You know where now you have like your your five. I don't know, you know, but yeah, I would. I think Jonathan Isaac would be a. I mean, yeah, if the most expensive piece it costs you is Jarrett Culver, you do it in a second. It's, yeah. It was a question of, you know, pre-draft was do you trade number one for an injured Jonathan Isaac, and it's, I think you can't anymore. But, but yeah, I think that's still something that everybody's going to be looking towards as a perfect fit but a guy that is just of questionable value and depending on what his contract looks like next but just an idea you know something that i know has been brought up a lot by wolves fans and just where do you go from here in terms of that power forward spot is going to be very interesting so yep totally all right well i think we've uh, exhausted the off season chad what do you think i think we did 
we covered everything we're going to cover. Yeah, I don't know if there's much more. They've we almost talked about it for as long as they had an off season for. So <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to have a little bit of fun. We wanted to move into uh, a mini fantasy draft since we're going to try to take this uh, this podcast to be a, a now and then uh, concept of t- taking a look back at the Timberwolves history. We wanted to see who, which one of us, if we did a snake draft, could assemble the best team of for today's modern NBA using nothing but Timberwolves players from past and present. So, Chad, would you like the first or second pick? Which one makes makes your time more enjoyable? Well, I think the first pick's easier. It's pretty clear. Um, but I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll defer to you. Ah, I'll you're gonna make the, you're gonna make me choose. I'll take the ball off after the half. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to get. I think you know what it's interesting because I think while the first two picks are clear, I think they both present equally difficult dilemmas if we are trying to take personalities and skill sets into account. So uh, I tried looking at it beforehand. I, I wrote out my list of I think I got ended up getting sixty five different players that I considered for for this draft, even though we're only drafting twenty four total. Um, most of which will not uh, actually be drafted. Uh, I'm sorry to Craig Smith that he will not be entering my team. I don't think he's he's going to make it. I know. I hurt you personally with that statement. Um, but all right, I'll go with the first pick if you want to defer. And obviously, I'll go with uh, Mr. Uncut Gems himself, uh, Kevin Garnett. Obviously, the number one overall player in Minnesota Timberwolves history. And uh, I think you could take any version of Kevin Garnett from 2001 to 2005 and get what was arguably the best player in the NBA at that time. So um, coming in as a big, you know, seven feet tall, playing either power forward or center, the ability to stretch the floor and be the best defensive player this team has ever had, as well as probably a game-changing defensive player in the league. I don't think you can go wrong there. So it's going to be hard to not build a a successful team around him, but it's just going to, we'll see how the, uh, the chips fall as you get these next two picks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we talked about this concept, Prior to the starting the podcast, you know, we mentioned that once you get Garnett, it makes it a lot easier to fit the other pieces around because we, there's not too many guys that are even come close to his defensive level that the Wolves have ever had. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be hard to to match that. However, um, I will take Carl Anthony Towns with the second pick, and partially because I think he's just about as much of a unicorn as Kevin Garnett was. Garnett was sort of that. You know, Swiss Army knife can do anything and do it really well. There's Carl yeah, Anthony Towns is the best shooting big man I've ever seen, and you know you can stack that team with lots of defenders. But kind of what we talked about a little bit ago about the Wolves, if they got hot, you, you're going to outscore any team in this league when you have that many shooters, and it's kind of kind of hard to replace the volume of scoring at the five position that you're going to get with Carl Anthony Towns. Absolutely, it is. I mean, I think those are clearly the top two in terms of talent, the ability to build a team maybe not um maybe not the ability to win right now which is kind of what we're looking for but uh we'll see where you go with number three i know i know who i would pick but i'm interested to see who you're going to pair pair with carl anthony towns so this is tough because what i would what the right pick i think is jimmy butler because he's the second best defensive player probably this team's ever had the problem is that that didn't work we already know (laughs) we know what the outcome is with those two together so, um, 
boy, I might have to make a panic pick here because I guess I didn't think this much into what the next pick. I, I think I'm gonna. I, I don't know how I cannot take Jimmy Butler here because I think he's still so much better than anybody else at this spot. So I'm gonna still take Jimmy, and I'm gonna just. We're not drafting coaches, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to take. A coach. <laughs> I'm not taking Tom Thibodeau as my head coach. So <laughs> I will work it out. I'll take Flip Saunders as my coach, <laughs> even though that's not part of the draft. And yeah. Hope that he makes the personalities fit better than Tom Thibodeau did. Man, you you made the right pick, and not not strictly because of how well Jimmy Butler and Cat can play together, but because you could not leave Jimmy Butler for me in that next pick. Right, I you, you have the best defensive team. Right, you can possibly make if you have those two guys. So. Yeah, you can't put KG and Butler on the other pick, and yeah, I would I would auto draft the rest of this draft, and I'd be done. So yeah, my team would wet its pants getting on the court <laughs> with your team. <laughs> the, the amount of intensity that your team would bring. So there's, it's not. Uh, I, I, that's the reason why I couldn't I couldn't let them go, even though I don't think they fit personality wise. Yeah, hey, I, I can't leave them to you because him, Jimmy Butler, and Kevin Garnett fit amazingly well personality wise. You got You got to pick the the right uh, year for those two. Take Jimmy before he knows uh, how much he doesn't fit with Cat, and then maybe right. maybe they'll fit for one year, and they'll get they'll right. get one more good run out of him. <laughs> All right. So you made that. You at least made that pick, uh, even though it was a tough one to come up with um, personality wise. You made the right pick there. So I got to come up with number four here, and now I got to team two guys in four and five up with Kevin Garnett. And I'm trying to think of what Kevin Garnett always needed. And he always needed a score first guy because he never wanted that responsibility on the team. And after that, probably just more defenders around him, but defend defenders and shooters. So the real trouble here is to figure out which point guard I'm going to go with, because I think that's, that's always been the position you wanted to team with, with KG and, I hate to do it. I hate to split him up, but I think I got to take D'Lo. I got to take him off of Cat's team and, and put him with uh, KG there. And I don't in any means, any way mean that that means that D'Lo is the fourth best Timberwolf of all time. I don't think that's true. Um, but in just building a team together, I, I could not let that one pass and hamstring myself as I move forward with the rest of this team. So I got to go with D'Lo at number four. Um, and then just because of pure talent and because I think they could make it work, especially with KG's, uh, defensive proficiency, I'm going to, I'm going to spread the floor a little bit. I'm going to go with, uh, good old K love, Kevin love it. Uh, my power forward. I'm going to slide, slide a KG up to center, have two Kevins and be ready to go. So I'll, I'll bomb away with you. I'll try to keep it as offensively, uh, ready to keep up, but hopefully Kevin can, kind of subsidize a little bit of my defense with the two uh, defensive anchors I just put onto my team. Well, I, I, after you, after we got to that pick, I actually thought Dilo would be the right pick with Kevin Garnett. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does stretch the floor. He can be that, that number one scorer. Um, so can Kevin Love. So yeah, I mean, I, I like those picks, you know, I'm going to go again, this isn't going to be, or we the sixth best player. Yeah. In Timberwolves history, but I'm going to go with Robert Covington here because Covington is going to give me a defensive advantage that I didn't think I was going to have starting the game, starting <laughs> my team with Carl Anthony Towns because now I have two two of the three best defenders probably that this team's ever seen. You know, they're I, so I'm going for value, right? Like 
there's a lot of other point guards that I like yep. um, that I think can fit this team that I got. And I think, you know, Covington brings a, a little, I don't know, you know, he's, he's the guy that replaced Jimmy, right. When we right. uh, dealt him. So they didn't play together, but they're from the same era. So I got three guys <laughs> from this era, which <laughs> kind of irks me. Uh, but uh, I, I think he's the right pick because you took, you took the next most potent scorer off the, you know, from a power forward position. So you took Kevin Love off the board. So um, with my next pick after Covington, I think I'm going to go, just because I love him so much, I'm going to go Isaiah Ryder. Ooh, it's a good, it's a good pick. I think um, he's, you know, that size, I mean, him and Jimmy playing on the wings, I, you know, I, I got a lot of, I don't have a big guy, you know, because I'm going to have to play Covington at the four, right? And so Jimmy at the three, Isaiah mm-hmm, at the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of switching in that lineup. There's a lot of switching. I, I can play positionless basketball with these guys, right? And if everyone, every guy in this team can hit the three. I don't have any liabilities out there. Um, you got Ryder, who's, you know, the best dunker out of the group. Yep. But, yeah, I, th- I think, again, he might not be the seventh best player, left but i'm going value here you already got your point guard i can come back and get a point guard later and even if you take the, the guy i want yeah i have a, a good second option there's not a lot of good shooting guards um left for the wolves <laughs> so <laughs> there's uh and or centers and i got those two positions locked up so you do you do all right so it's back to me pick uh picks eight and nine and just because of the need to add a little bit more defensive capability to my team after having drafted D'Lo and Caleb, which, like you said, I didn't think I'd have to say after drafting KG first. <laughs> but I'm going to go with a guy that only played with the Timberwolves for one year um, that can swap between the three and the four, and I will be putting... I know, I know where you're going. You do, you do. It's <laughs> going to be Andre Kirilenko starting at small forward for uh, the A-team here. Uh, AK-47... Uh, played that one magical year with Kevin Love injured in what I still hold would have been a clear playoff team if Love hadn't done his knuckle push-ups. Um, Rubio, I, a- yeah. I almost took him at the Covington spot. Oh, God, I just, I couldn't believe you didn't. I would have, <laughs> if I had had Cat the, and Butler, the, and I, then I would have been able to put Covington and AK-47 on that team. I know there's not a lot of shooting between Butler and Kirilenko, but you're just destroying teams defensively <laughs> that's i and i was like okay how far do i reach to get ak-47 before Derek, who also is a huge ak-47 <laughs> fan reaches to get him so i knew i was playing a fire giving you two picks without me taking them i know so, i had to do it yeah so uh, even if i didn't take him there he wasn't he wasn't sliding past number nine here so um all right so i have my front court my entire front court my point guard taken care of so i need another wing i need somebody that can score the ball Preferably not having to have the ball in their hands, though, because I got plenty of guys who can, between Love and D'Lo, guys who, who want to control that ball. So I need a shooter. I need somebody who can sit at that two spot, who can really just bomb away without being kind of a primary ball handler. And this feels really weird based off of everything I've already said in this podcast, but I think I'm going to put Malik Beasley as my shooting guard. Wow. I know, and that's but, that, yeah. You're like you know, like I said when I took Ryder, there's not a lot of no. You got to get you got to get a shooting guard early because there aren't a lot to pick from. Yep. 
And that might be blasphemous to the Ricky Davis fans out there, but I had to do it. I had to go with Beasley and his ability to shoot, and he might be, except for Towns, he might be the second best shooter the team has ever had. Yeah, I I think he probably is. Um, other than maybe the guy I'm going to think, I think I'm going to take here. Okay. I need a point guard, and I do need some more shooting. And I, while I would love to take Ricky and just hamstrung you from getting any more defenders i think i'm gonna take sam cassell that's a good pick he uh i don't i mean towns is obviously an elite three-point shooter covington's you know near elite Ryder and butler are not so adding a, another he's probably the best three-point shooter i mean you know you can look at derrick rose for the the year year mm-hmm. and a half that he was here he was an elite shooter for the wolves during that time but i think i feel more comfortable with the time that Sam here, when we're t- just talking about the Minnesota years. Yeah. Um, and it's Sam's overall game. I mean, Sam was a, a near MVP level when I he mean, was here in 04. At this point, Cat is going to mope through your entire season with the number of personalities that you've put onto this team. <laughs> but but if he can just use his talent to just bomb away and, and be that offensive presence, it the rest hey, of those I, guys are going to do really well together. I My team, we're going to do a reality show. It's going to be <laughs> the most entertaining team here. Um, so I'm going to go another big, and okay. maybe I'm going to go with guy, not a huge personality, but a guy that can just play the post better than anybody else I think is left from the Wolves. And I'm going to go Big Al. Big Al. Here. And partially because I think he could play either the four or the five. So I can play him with Towns or I can play him with Covington. Um, he, he's more of a, a legit power forward if I need him to, you know, slide coming to the three. So, um, And he's a proficient scorer. So I have... You know, I went defense with my second and third pick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go offense with these these two picks with Sam and Al. All right. So you took probably the third best, well, third best center prospect available if you consider KG a center prospect. So uh, just like our wing options, centers go quick here for the Timberwolves. Um, and I would be remiss if I did not end up with at least one of the top four center prospects uh, to back up KG here, since KG isn't going to absolutely love playing center all the time with Kevin Love as my power forward. So I'm going to uh, take Nikola Pekovic as my backup center here and probably sixth man to make sure that Another one of my favorite players. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, him, AK-47. I know. KG. I had to do it. I had to bring him in because he's just going to keep everybody happy because everybody loves Peck, and he's going to be the the muscle that my team needs uh, to throw around for a bit here. Um, so now I got a lot of I got a, a lot of bulk on my front line, especially with AK forty seven be able to slide up to uh, to power forward. So I, I need another guard. I need somebody that's going to be able to be a little bit dynamic, maybe a slasher. Uh, doesn't have to be a scorer. So looking through my list think who boy this uh this wing list gets it gets tight quick doesn't it it got tight after writer it did <laughs> <laughs> all right so so here's where i'm at i'm looking at i've got a uh an aged latrell spreewell for the time that he was here and disappointing andrew wiggins or a youthful Zach Levine. And I think I'm going to 
go away from all of them and take Kevin Martin. Oh. That was going to be my dark horse. Yeah, it's a little bit earlier than I wanted to take Kmart, but for somebody that could score the the analytics darling of the late uh late, late aughts coming in here to really hold down our our offense here on the second unit with Peck to try to make a difference here. So, uh, I'm going with with Kmart with pick number 13. So, you take you've taken two of my all-time favorite Tim rolls in AK47 Nikola Pekovic. Well, three of them because mm-hmm. you got Kevin Garnett too. So I'm not going to let you get away with it. I'm going to take Ricky Rubio. That's true. You knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it lasted this long. I should I should have just done it. <laughs> and I will have a Ricky and Sam Cassell point guard. That's a good duo. combo. It's a really good combo. It is a really good combo. I yeah. actually really like it, saying it out loud. Um, and then I'm going to come back with my next pick, and there's some more power forward than I like, but I think I'm actually going to come back and I'm going to take the guy we talked about earlier on the podcast, take Wally Zerbiak. Mm. Slide he him up, shoot. make him play power, power forward. I don't know. We'll see where, we'll see where the rest of this draft goes. Okay. But I could, he might play, he might just be Jimmy's backup at the three. Um, but he, he's another guy. He's a guy that can, he could play the three, the four, he could play a big two. If I really want to go big, like let's say you're, you're going peck and, and Caleb and Garnett big lineup i can put wally won't be able to do much defensively against kg <laughs> but <laughs> i'll keep kg out of the paint by shooting launching three there you go so i'm gonna go wally world it's a good it's a good it's a good one i think he was probably one of the best players left especially pre well, wally yep yeah you look at the value it's just like it's kind of hard to move down um i think there's a couple guys are right at his level i won't bring him up because you might take him um and I want to save them for me if they're still there. <laughs> you do. You want to save them for you. Okay, so I have on my bench now a center and another wing, which I feel good about. But I'm going to grab a point guard here. And this will be the third or the fourth best point guard, according to my evaluation in Timberwolves history. And I feel pretty strongly, as much as I want to say a Stefan Marbury I think I have to go with Terrell Brandon, Mr. Stop and Pop himself. I wanted to pair KG and, and Marbury together, but Brandon was just a better player at their points in their careers that they played for the Timberwolves. To be honest, I was I thought about Marbury instead of Ricky, mm-hmm. and just because I thought the personality would be fun with the rest of the guys I have on my team. Right, yeah. But Ricky's the better point guard, and I actually can't disagree that Terrell Brandon's probably the better point guard there either. Um Obviously, Marbury's talent levels off the charts compared to Terrell Brandon, but Absolutely. in terms of their actual on-court effectiveness, it's hard to argue that Marbury's better than Terrell Brandon was. Right, especially for a year and a half. You know, when his first year and a half in the league, when he hadn't really figured it out yet. So, uh, now we're getting tricky. We have uh, eight players each. We're going to go to twelve. So we got our last four spots on the bench here. We can either try to make our teams as stacked as possible or we can take uh, personalities into account and try to try to bring in some good veteran presences here to, to really push us over the top. Um, I think now would probably be a good place for me to add 
probably the number one guy that KG needs to have on his team. Otherwise, he's not going to play for me anymore since I have this opportunity. Uh, I'm going to add Malik Seeley and the, the opportunity that he brought and the potential he showed for this team and what he really meant uh, before his untimely passing. And probably the best two-way wing player left. So, yeah, that's a good pick. So I am going to take a guy I didn't think would be here this late. Um, it's another four. So I'm going to have a lot of bigs. <laughs> but he's another four that can shoot. So I'm going to take Tom Gugliotta. Yeah, the first all-star in Timberwolves history. Yeah, and one of my other personal favorite players. Um, and there's other bigs I like. I'm, I can bring him up now because I'm probably done taking bigs. Uh, but like Joe Smith, a little better defensive player than Gugliotta, so I would consider him here. Um, even uh, even Christian Leitner I would consider here because in today's game, mm-hmm. I think Christian Leitner's game would translate really well. Um, but I think Gugliotta, I mean, he was a surefire better producer than those two. So that's how I went, why I went with Googs here. Um, then coming back, I got two point guards. So I probably could go with another wing as well. And the toss up because kind of like you said, you have, you can go talent, you can go production. It's hard to come away with anybody on this board. That's got more talent than Andrew Wiggins. So I'm going to go Andrew Wiggins here. All right. All right. All right. All right. And you know, KG used to say that Andrew Wiggins was a just a freak in practice um, and thought he could get more out of him. So I don't know if the guys that I have on my team, we know what he did with Towns and Butler. You know, maybe a San Cassell is the kind of guy that can, can reach Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he's never played better up. than he did with Ricky. So at least you got That's both right. of them on your team. Yep. Okay. So we're getting down to... The last three spots here. I'm only going to have one left after I make this turn, so I better make them count. I'm looking at my roster. I'm looking at my list. I think I have a lot of talent here. Um, If there's one thing I'm missing, though, it's not veteran presences because I got lots of vets on this team. Um, I might need a little bit more shooting from the three, though. So just for the potential of that, as well as putting a little bit more youthful energy on my team. I'm going to take uh, Zach Levine with this pick here. I like it. He was, I mean, it was going to be him or Wiggins for me. Yep, 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 yep. So I'm adding him to my wing rotation with Malik Seeley and Kevin Martin and apparently, and Malik Beasley. Yep, yep, yep. So um, those guys are going to hold down those positions. Um, I suppose I could use either a fifth big or a third point guard. I don't really need a fifth big, though, since AK-47 can slide up. So I will bring back the guy I brought up last time and just take another youthful guy in rookie Stefan Marbury and just get all of the exuberance of that first win against Chicago in uh, 1997. Damn it! I thought I talked you out of it. Mm, it was close. <laughs> I, I, I was like, "Oh well," I talked him down, so maybe I'll, he'll be there with my eleventh or twelfth pick. <laughs> Oddly um, enough, point guard is re- a really deep position for the Timberwolves over their history. It really is. I'm still looking at this list, and I mean, I, I have my pick of them now because I do th- think I need a third point guard as well. And Marbury would have been the pick, but you still have Derrick Rose, who was terrific in his short time here, or Chauncey Billups, who obviously was 
went on to bigger and better things with Detroit, but mm-hmm. was still a damn good point guard when he played here. Um, you know, Terry Porter, honorable mention, is Absolutely. solid, but yep. Jeff, Jeff Teague was okay. I'm not a big Jeff Teague fan. So, um, at least on the court, I think he's hilarious on Twitter. Just all he ever tweets was WWF. But, um, yeah, I think I'm going to take between those two. I'm going to take Derek Rose just because I think it's, you know, I know we're only going off their, their Wolves well, run, but he's an MVP. If you just so, want a guy that could score 50, I mean, why not take Mo Williams? Well, you could do that, or you could take Shane Heal. I mentioned the uh, Twitter. <laughs> heal me, heal me, I believe. Um, but I think Derek Rose, if you want 50 points, Derek Rose can do that more frequently than true. Mo Williams. Yeah, he had more moves. <laughs> um, and then, with my last pick, I'm going to go Dark Horse here and dig in deep. I'm going to go with the guy, the, the last remaining two-way player okay. at the wing position I'm going to go Kendall Gill here. Kendall Gill. Somebody you might not have even, we've never, I don't know that in all the years we've known each other that we've even talked about Kendall Gill, but he probably has never come up. No, he probably hasn't. I, he's a guy I always liked. He's not, he doesn't wall you with any one thing, but he's a solid player. He's like a poor man's Robert Covington. And for at the end of my bench, the last player on my bench, kind of having a poor man, Robert Covington. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know. I, had, I, I, I know. Do I, had, I mean, yeah. I could go bigger talent. I could do a Michael Beasley here. Um, just to, you know, another, yep. another personality to go with the rest of my knuckleheads. Um, you know, Irv Johnson, just get another defensive player and just have another defensive big and go all, I, I could have an all defense team, but no, I'm, I'm going to go Kendall Gill just, just to also mix it up. I mean, there's some other more obvious choices here, you know, but I'm going to, I think I'm it's a good pick. I think it works, which leaves me to close out this mini fantasy draft with, what had to be the most obvious pick of any 12th man of any team of any roster ever, because you cannot have an end of bench guy that is better than Mark Madsen. (laughs) You have to go with it as much of a black stain as he is on Timberwolves history. And the most horrifying example of tanking ever. If he's never going to play, there's nobody better than Mark Madsen. This is true. And he's another scrapper, so it's you know true. you got get some uh, some tough guys with you know Pekovic and Malik Beasley, AK forty seven's got a little bit of a streak to him, and obviously KG. I you know I have I, my counters the only guys I got that are tough like that. I would see Jimmy. I think Big Al's got a little bit of a mean streak in him. Yeah, probably you get him going. Yeah, Kendall Kendall Gale. I don't know if you know this, but you know when I was training in martial arts, Kendall Gale was a a jujitsu martial arts guy and he showed up to one of my graduation classes not because of me he, just kept <laughs> there. he trained at the same place i, tra- I yeah. actually he trained at the place i tested at i actually trained at a different place but i saw him there and i thought he looked super cool he had his dreadlock i was like yeah that's a big dude to be doing this sport um so kendall gill while he's a really nice guy he probably can beat up everybody on your team outside of Peck. Sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know if anybody can beat up Peck. No. The year he showed back up with a, a tattoo of a medieval soldier with his giant sword going through a bunch of skulls. I don't know if there was anything left we could do about that. We, well, you know he's like a legit crime boss yeah, now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he's he's like for really, he's the godfather. So. Yeah, there's trouble there. So, yeah. All right, so to run him down, Chad went with Cat, Robert Covington, and Jimmy Butler. J.R. Ryder, Sam Cassell, Big Al Jefferson, Ricky Rubio, Wally Zerbiak, Tom Gugliata, Andrew Wiggins, Derek Rose, and Kendall Gill. 
While on the other side of the table, I went with Kevin Garnett, D'Angelo Russell, Kevin Love, AK-47, Andre Kirilenko, Malik, not Michael Beasley, Nikola Pekovic, Kevin Martin, Terrell Brandon, Malik Seeley, Zach Levine, Stefan Marbury, and Mark Madsen to round out my bench for a little bit of cheerleading. So we'll uh, we'll put these up at some point in the future, let you guys vote on them, and see uh, who you think actually put together the better team and which one would have a better chance of winning a championship in 2020. Well, Chad, two hours for our first episode. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a record. It, it, I hope so. We might have to break this up <laughs> into a multi-parter, so we'll see what we can do. So it's been, awesome. a, it's been a joy, my friend. It's been much fun. Let's get back and do this soon. All right. Sounds good, man. Bye-bye. See ya.